Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to uh, another edition of the Sea Report coming to you live on this rainy Thursday afternoon here down in Texas. Indeed, Texas gal, it certainly is. And welcome, welcome, welcome to a brand new show for you guys tonight. We've got a pretty full st uh, show for you guys tonight. Needless to say, uh, we got a lot of stuff to talk about. Uh, so we'll jump right into it. I hope everyone's having a great Thursday night. I'm your host, Mr. C. We are live on the Twitch Foxhole app and Trovo currently. And again, I hope you guys are having a great day. Oh, man, I went for a walk this morning. Uh, I've been trying to, you know, take a daily walk because I keep saying, you know, <laughs> I'm starting to resemble Humpty over here. I'm going to fall off my wall eventually and no one ain't going to be able to put me back together again. So it was humid. It was hot. There was a nice breeze. But man, how the times they are changing. Yeah, it's pretty stormy right here in Texas, at least in my area and Texas gals area as well. So, yep, there we go, guys. Uh, we already got the chat room filling up. We have a brand new first today. Congratulations to Gary Flesner. Thank you for hopping on into the chat. Texas gal, also Tam Grell. And uh, Tam oh, Tam Grell, thank you so much for donating the can. No, <laughs> the first gold pill donation goes to Tam Gorel. We have two first place winners today. <laughs> Wowzers. Well, awesome, guys. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Glad to have you along with us. And I hope you guys are having a great Thursday afternoon. Um, well, let's go ahead and jump right into I don't have to. Do I have anything else new to say today? Oh, well, no. Hmm. I did add a couple of articles to the website, uh, thecreport.com. I talked about it a little bit yesterday. I'll probably be working on that again this evening uh, just to go ahead and try and get that going. Um, I think the only other thing else I could say in regards to housekeeping before I get started for today's show is uh, share the show. You know what? Uh, why not? I don't think I've ever asked anyone to share the show. Uh, these things are things that I tend to forget. Uh, but anyway, if you like what you see and you like what you hear and you think someone else would be interested in the information that we have to share, uh, I mean, not that you can't find some of this information in other places, but you know what? Hey, uh, help the show grow and share the show. I don't know how you do that, but I'm sure you guys probably got that one figured out already. Okay, so let's go ahead and jump into yesterday's chat recap because like I said, we've got a lot of ground to cover tonight. Um, well, uh, the titles, 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 Beto, Beto pays for the Dems. Okay. You guys all know who Robert Francis or Rourke is. Boy, Boyer is to blame for the Arizona recall as per the electors. Ah, some good stuff here, guys. Stark turns a leaf and we're not talking about Tony, but again, that is a big question mark, a big question mark. We have to, we don't know exactly where this Stark is going, but Stark seems to, I don't know, Stark. You surprise me, boy. I mean, I, I mean, I, I don't get surprised too often, but I guess when I get into my own, uh, I guess like a kind of a, a tunnel vision when it comes to the stories that I talk about here on the Sea Report, I was like, whoa, 
did not see that one coming. All right. And then, of course, Governor Edwards, that is the governor of Louisiana. He wins everything. He needs to go. Okay. All right. But we'll save that. <laughs> we'll save that story for later. Okay. Let's go ahead and get into yesterday's chat recap. See what we had going on with everyone present. Uh, let me see here. Okay, cool. All right. So uh, let's see. We had Xena in the house. Just V, Aurelius Locke123SKG, Joy for Trump. Uh, Just V and Joy for Trump both gifting gold pill cans. Thank you very much. Pill by the Rabbit hanging out. AP9889, Double X, Dead Skull, Double X, Don S, Sonia, JHC, Sherry Pittsburgh, Love Warren, Service Dog Mom. Mitridate. And then we also had Ohio Kimmy gift in a can as well. Cheers, cheers, my friend. Mitridate says, everybody in the Jenner family has fake breasts. <laughs> I mean, I just, uh, his comments just don't get old. <laughs> Mitridate. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, we were talking, I mean, well, I don't know if we were talking about trans at this point, or if we were just talking about uh, um, uh, gender pronouns, or if we were talking indeed about Chris Jenner, I mean Chris Jenner. Ho, oh. <laughs> wrong one. Uh, same affliction. Uh, anyways, uh, to that point, oh, it must have been the trans because Just V said that Jenner has not had his dingling. Oh wait, he still has his. <laughs> Jenner still has his dingling. So I don't know if there's a different. You know, oh, it's because it was because I told you guys that the difference between trans and all that stuff. Um, uh, you have to be. Full operational? I mean, there's post and pre-op, I guess. But doesn't he have breasts, right? He has breasts, doesn't he? I don't know. Some guys are into that thing, <clears throat> Alex Jones. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's whatever. I don't judge. You know, I don't judge. I mean, just be honest. <laughs> just me says it sounds too painful to become truly trans. Um, you know, I mean, yeah, I mean, I would think so too. You know, I have, uh, I have no desire to, um, lose what organs God gave me when I was born. I can tell you for a fact though, I did save someone from, uh, from doing such an operation. I, I, I basically said I wouldn't date you if you cut it off. <laughs> Anyways, that's not for here. That's for uh, Mr. C in the Dark or something like that. We ain't going to talk about that on this show. <laughs> Connie McKenzie was in the house. The Texan, the Speak Uneasy, Dragon Energy 45. Dragon Energy 45 says, did y'all talk about the lawsuit against the government from the frontline doctors? Um, I don't recall if we were talking about... Um, if we were talking about uh, COVID and stuff yesterday, but indeed we have not spoken about that. Now I do remember all about the frontline doctors. I mean, they were the brave, the brave ones who stood up basically at the beginning of this. And they were like the one, the doctor from Houston, I believe was one of them that was included in that. And, you know, and they were talking, of course, obviously, you know, about hydroxychloroquine and about how, uh, you know, um, uh, the uh the 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 covid thing was you know not as deadly okay i don't know what happened ladies and gentlemen but everything just shut off on my end let me go ahead and reboot real quick Belushi's got a cookie. 
That was weird, ladies and gentlemen. Okay, hold on. Like, everything shut off. Everything shut off on my end, but I'm back. I'm back. Haven't gone yet. Okay. Just give it a second, and it will come up, guys. Okay, I mean, I'm up right now. This will be in... This will, yeah, this will be the past for me once you've seen what I'm saying right now. Hey there, past Michael. I mean, Mr. C, how are you doing? Anyways, okay. Where was I? That was bizarro. Okay, now, um, that was weird. That was weird. Hey, just be, hey, Belushi, thank you for the goal, uh, the cookie. I appreciate it. I always appreciate it when people fill my, my cookie jar. Okay. Now I'm like, now I'm like in like, uh, what is this, a recovery mode? <laughs> okay, let's see what's up. Let's see what's up. Okay, so <laughs> I just said hello to myself. Okay, hey, Christina Fontana, derailing the uh, D-Patriot1776, welcome back. Uh, FMJ, how's it going, my friend? 76, uh, 762 by 39. Wowzers. Okay, so that was weird, guys. That was weird. That was weird. Now, you see, the last time my circle here in my uh, software was circling, like it was circling. And now, <laughs> and now the whole thing just shut off. Woohoo. All right. I have my uh, internet. I don't know. Maybe it's the storms. Either way, we're still here. So, you know, we're still going to go with it. Okay. Now, where did I leave off? Oh, yes. We were talking about the frontline doctors. Okay. So anyways, as I was saying, we had not actually, well, I had not, we have not covered the frontline doctor suing. I had not covered it. I actually hadn't looked up into it. I don't know. I mean, uh, uh, the COVID matter, and everything surrounding it is very important. It's very important, uh, if not somewhat overdone and overplayed. And, you know, when things get overdone and overplayed, I tend to just kind of shy away. You know, I'm that guy, you know, that like looked at the table of the cool kids at lunch and said, <laughs> I don't hang out with the cool kids. I just, you know, the cool kid. Anyways, okay. So uh, we got our own circle of cool kids here, right, kids? Anyways, okay. So what I did was I was like, hmm. This is a pretty good, this is a pretty good, uh, a pretty good topic here. I wanted to know more about these lawsuits. So I went ahead and guess what? I looked it up. Okay. As it turns out, the frontline doctors, uh, they have sued once in the past and they are currently suing two times more. So three times these guys who were totally shunned, totally censored, totally just kicked to the, to the corner, kicked to the side. They are actually still fight, fight, fighting, right? So uh, I appreciate I appreciate the hot tip on this Dragon Energy forty five. So let's go ahead and take a look real quick at what I found on the doctors. Okay, the frontline doctors. Now this first article, obviously, it comes from the Gateway Pundit. The most I like I joke guys, but I like to say it's the most trusted webs uh, most trusted news site on Foxhole because I mean everyone seems to go to the Gateway Pundit. But this is where I go to get my stories on election fraud because these guys have been on top of it from day one. And then not to mention, finally, you know, the, uh, you know, just the news started to catch on the Epoch Times start to catch on Steve Bannon's war room start to catch on. But the Gateway Pundit was the first one to do it. I just, I, I kid, I kid. I like to make fun. Uh, um, okay. So this one was from the Gateway Pundit dated back to May 25th. 
2021, America's frontline doctors sue the federal government to prevent forcing experimental COVID vaccines on United States children. So this was the first instance, if I'm not mistaken, where the frontline doctors were suing uh, the American government. It says the courageous group of doctors, America's frontline doctors, are suing the United States federal government for pushing COVID vaccines. We've reported on this group before, once when they encouraged America's airlines to remain free and not put COVID requirements on passengers. That's pretty cool. I did not know that they did that either. So that's interesting. Um, I just know they had a lot of blowback for having that one uh, press conference in, in Washington, D.C., and then they like basically just totally banned them and they banned and censored that video. Anyways, it says here below is a PDF from the America's Frontline Doctors currently found on their site discussing 10 medical facts regarding the COVID-19 experimental vaccines. We won't take a look at that, but I'm probably going to have to bookmark this because can I download? No, because I don't subscribe to Scribd. Too bad. Okay, so uh, here a couple of days ago on May 20th, these courageous doctors sued the United States federal government and asked for a temporary restraining order to prevent administering the COVID vaccines on children. It says America's frontline doctors today filed a motion in the United States District Court for the Northern District of Alabama requesting a temporary restraining order against the emergency use authorization permitting using the COVID-19 vaccines in children under the age of 16 and that no further expansion of the EUAs to children under the age of 16 be granted prior to the resolution of these issues at trial. The case will challenge the EUAs for the injections of several counts based on the law and scientific evidence that EUAs should never have been granted. The EUAs should be revoked immediately. The injections are dangerous biological agents that have the potential to cause substantially greater harm than the COVID-19 disease itself and that numerous laws have been broken in the process of granting these EUAs and foisting these injections on the American people. Look at them drink that yellow water. Anyways, that is pretty crazy, guys. Now, this is a copy of the uh, actual lawsuit. Man, it's 80 pages long, guys. Uh, that's pretty crazy. But wow. Okay, so that was the first lawsuit that these guys filed back in May of this year, towards the end of May. So that's actually, you know, like I said, I, I don't cover COVID too often here. Uh, kind of when it was first coming out, that's mRNA. And we're figuring out what exactly mRNA was because I had no idea what it is. I'm not a science guy. You know, I don't I don't delve into those realms of uh, reality. But when I realized what mRNA was, I did an entire show on it. Like, I don't know when that was. That must have been back maybe in April. Maybe it was in April. I did an entire hour presentation on exactly how the mRNA vaccine gene therapy session goes into your body creeps in, attaches itself to your like molecular biological DNA stuff, and then makes your body become a factory that starts to produce this COVID spike uh, protein. And then you just start producing COVID spike proteins because your body has taken the instructions into its own and it's learned how to make it crazy stuff anyway. So yeah, that's about the extent of my reporting. The next uh, story from here, this comes from Cheryl Atkinson. Uh, I don't know who that is. <laughs> that is Cheryl Atkinson right there. But this was her story uh, about America's frontline doctors. I'll go ahead and expand that for you. Uh, now, this one is from the 19th of this month. So that's just a few days ago. 
Doctors group plans to sue colleges that require students to get COVID-19 vaccine. Oh, yeah, they are going to sue the bees. America's frontline doctors is planning to sue colleges and universities that are forcing students to get the COVID-19 vaccine as a condition of attending. The medical group is a nonpartisan nonprofit representing numerous physicians around the country who say they believe that American people have the right to accurate information using trusted data delivered from decades of practical experience, not politicized science and big tech filtered public health information. According to the America's Frontline Doctors, forcing young healthy adults to take a vaccine as a prerequisite to attending college is immoral and wrong. The organization is looking for student plaintiffs for colleges located in Colorado, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, and Pennsylvania. You hear that, folks? If you've got youngins who are out in Colorado, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, or Pennsylvania, get in touch with the frontline doctors if they're going to school and they're being forced. I know I've heard some of you guys in the chat say that your children are facing this very uh, this very challenge when going back into uh, college or higher learning, uh, higher learning, right? <laughs> I need to stop using the bunny ears anyways. Uh, but yeah, I mean, if y'all are in that area, I mean, they might be able, maybe you'll be getting in on two class action lawsuits, right? You uh, with this one and with President Trump. That sounds like fun. Uh, let's see. The federal government has pursued a marketing strategy that advocates everyone getting vaccinated, regardless of their individual risk. Scientists say young people have a statistical zero chance of becoming seriously ill from COVID-19, let alone dying of the virus. On the other hand, the experimental COVID-19 vaccines are being aggressively monitored for adverse effects since their sped up emergency authorization means they did not go through the normal approval process. So far, they have been linked to health problems such as blood clots. They're calling it the blood clot shot now. Uh, Guillain-Barre, uh, autoimmune paralysis and heart inflammation in young people. Um, yeah, so that's very good. America's Frontline Doctors was founded. Okay, it's talking about where it's founded. So they're suing over this as well. Very interesting information. Hey, Deplora Laura, how's it going? Uh, let's see. Deplora Laura says, Mr. C, good to see you today. I will not be getting any vax. Myself, neither. Deplora Laura, myself, neither. They can take that uh, clock shot and put it somewhere else if you ask me. Besides, I hear it, uh, it causes a lot of problems for men as well. Anyway, <laughs> now this is the latest one um, that, uh, that I found uh, when I was scoping out uh, um, uh, Service Dog Mom's hot tip on this. Or sorry, not Service Dog Mom. I apologize. Dragon Energy 45. Okay, so this one is a lawsuit brought by doctors group claims 45,000 dead due to COVID shots. So man, they went straight from suing about their children to suing about their young adults to suing about the dead. <laughs> I mean, it's not funny, but hey, they're making sure that all the age brackets are included. Okay, so let's see what it says here. In a lawsuit filed on Monday in federal court, an alleged healthcare whistleblower says the death rates associated with the COVID vaccine are much higher than what the government and mainstream media have led 
the public to believe. The lawsuit brought by America's frontline doctors alleges the government's data on adverse effects associated with the COVID jab has been severely underreported. The complaint alerts a whistleblower operating under the pseudonym Jane Doe queried data from Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. According to her query, she determined that the number of the deaths occurring with three days of injection with the COVID vaccines exceeds those reported by VAERS, the government's reporting site, by a factor of at least five, indicating that the true number of deaths caused by the vaccines is at least 45,000. The suit alleges Jane Doe is a healthcare data and computer expert with over 20 years of experience who has developed over 100 distinct healthcare fraud detection algorithms for use in the public and private sectors. The suit says Jane Doe cannot reveal her identity for fear of her personal safety and that of her family. Representing the doctor's group is a bevy of attorneys including seasoned lit litigator Larry Beecraft and Ohio-based attorney Thomas Rents, who gave a passionate speech regarding medical freedom over the weekend. Click here to read Declaration of Jane Doe. Ooh, that sounds interesting, but we're not going to click it, guys. <laughs> we're not going to click it, but wow. Okay, so that's a pretty hot tip. Um, those are pretty good articles. This last one was from The Election Wizard. <laughs> Oh, the election wizard. Is that a reputable source? <laughs> they have the freaking uh, <laughs> they have the freaking uh, lawsuit here. So I guess it's reputable. <laughs> Wowzers. OK, so that was a good. OK, so, yeah, I mean, there you have it, ladies and gentlemen, the uh, frontline doctors strike three times just like lightning, maybe. Uh, but that's uh, that's good to know. I'm glad that that's, you see you guys, when you guys spill in information like that, I always get to kind of get a jump on some of these things. So I enjoy that very much. I don't know what my computer's doing. Okay, but uh, no, indeed. So yes, the frontline doctors are making moves. They're making moves on uh, the government against COVID which is a good thing, ladies and gentlemen. They shall be censored no more, is all that I have to say. Uh, okay, all right. And especially if we share their articles, especially if we back them up, especially if we let people know about the work that they're doing, even better, even better. Thank you, Dragon Energy 45 for that story. Uh, let's see, Xena. <laughs> oh, we got another story here, guys. <laughs> We have another, this one was interesting. God, this one was interesting. Okay, Zena. <clears throat> uh, Zena says, Drag Queen Story Hour showed up at Alaska Native Heritage Center. Natives weren't happy. Uh, we'll follow that up with service dog mom saying clowns for children, and I never liked clowns, though I always thought they were scary, but drag queens can also scare children. Yeah, drag queens can do a lot more than scare children. Trust me, service dog mom. They can really, really hurt their little bodies. Um, okay, so uh, <laughs> I was like, wow, this is interesting story. Uh, uh, Zena bringing up this drag, drag queen story hour. Okay, first of all, yes, to service dog's mom's point, service dog mom's point, there are some scary drag queens out there now. Uh, there was one that had initially, I mean, this is like right when you guys, maybe you remember, right when this drag story hour first started to become a thing and they had the ones that they were actually like publicizing on the news and in the paper and stuff like that. One of them looked like a freaking demon. Like she had like horns and like all this and blood. I was like, 
I mean, maybe not as bad as Rainbow Dildo Butt Monkey, right? With the hanging dildo between me. What the hell was that about? Like, I don't know how. That idiot must have been high. <laughs> he must have been high as a freaking kite. Because, like, I don't know how he could think that he could go to a public library and read children's stories with an eight-inch dildo hanging from his his hatchapee. Like, what the heck is up with that? I just, I can't with that. I would go, I would go, you know, I would say I would slap that man, but I'd probably punch him. And notice, guys, I don't put my thumb inside my fists when I punch, okay? So, anyways, I was like, God, this guy is, he's out of something. But I found this to be an interesting story, too. The reason why I thought this, uh, I had to look it up, because um, uh, they're in Alaska now. Watch out, ladies and gentlemen. The drag queens have made it to Alaska, okay? So, <laughs> I thought it was an American thing. Anyways, I mean, you know, like, you know, contingent 48 states, you know, lower 48. <laughs> Anyways, okay. So, um, um, I was I was thinking this was a very interesting story only because I've often heard it say by people in those circles. Uh, and then, you know, also if you go to like any like social media where you, you have these things creeping up on you and um, people are like, well, well, Native America, I was going to say Indians, screw it. Indians, Indians are like, uh, we're too spirited, you know, so it's okay. And then they go on about cultural appropriation Really? Okay, so first of all, these drag queens are assuming that Native Americans consider drag queens two-spirited and not just whacked out of their mind, right? Okay, how is that not cultural appropriation, if you ask me? So, to that end, Miss Zena, I had to look up the story. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> Let's get this on the screen. Okay. All right. This comes from Alaska Watchman. Okay. <laughs> so this Watchman, he's on the watch. Drag Queen Story Hour was an assault on our Alaska Native Heritage. An open letter to Alaska Native Heritage Center. Ooh, ladies and gentlemen, the plot thickens. Okay. And that one's standing up there like Bette Midler. Anyways. Okay. <laughs> Let's continue. Uh, this happened in Kama'ai. I might not be pronouncing that right, but Kama'ai, Alaska. Uh, this is his letter from Alaska Watchman. I am writing in regard to the recent Drag Queen Story Hour held at the Alaska Native Heritage Center on June 26th. AMHC's description of this inaugural event states, Since time immemorial, our indigenous cultures holistically valued our people in support of their well-being, including fluidity of gender concepts. This bold opening statement, however inclusive, is historically untrue of Alaska natives. Although our people are generally tolerant, accepting, and loving, this event clearly incited two-spirit ideation into young children who were present. As reported by Joel Davidson of the Alaska Watchmen, the MC introduced himself simply as Russ and told the children what they are uh, that they are all two-spirited, meaning they are neither male nor female, but along some vaguely defined gender spectrum. Wherever you are from, one half of your spirit to the other half of your spirit, that's who you are in your identity. And you decide that, okay? Russ instructed the children. That's sick, guys. Like, they are 
purposefully confusing the hell out of children. And you know, when you're a kid, you know, you your parents take you to something or you have a, anyone older than you when you're a child is basically an authoritative figure. Like anyone older than you is someone that you will learn from or you will be influenced by or, you know, what have you. And so these guys are going, these men, these men in makeup are going over to children and instructing them to, 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 to identify as, as the owner of their own gender destiny. <laughs> like what the hell? That's just sick. That's disgusting. That's disgusting. What, what I think these drag queens are doing is they're looking at these kids. Uh, you know what? I'm not going to go there. Okay. <laughs> uh, tune in to uh, Mr. C in the Dark on Friday. We'll talk about it. No, I don't know. <laughs> Sometimes I'm afraid to talk about these things because, uh, you know, I got a lot of people that don't like talking about these things sometimes. Anyways, okay. So don't forget that, continues Russ, the drag queen. We're all two-spirited. That's what we call an individual who identifies as LGBT in our community. Two-spirited. So now this Russ, the drag queen, is telling these children that everyone is gay. <laughs> what the hell, Russ? Does Russ not think that the I, I'm assuming that there are parents in the room, right? I guess that's why they wrote this article. I'm assuming the parents sitting there are probably like, what the, what the hell is this person talking about? <laughs> Anyways, wow, that's terrible. Talk about indoctrination. Uh, let's see, uh, cultural appropriation. How about gender indoctrination? Jesus Christ. Okay, uh, let's see. Uh, um, it's actually something that is quite normal for native Alaskans. So now Russ is saying that everyone who's native Alaskan, they're all gay, <laughs> according to Russ the drag queen. Wow, Russ, Jesus Christ. He must have had, I don't know, he must have been bullied or, or maybe uh, he's must got low self-esteem. He's like one of those people that needs the rest of the world to back him up because he couldn't do it on his own. Okay, uh, let's go ahead and finish this article <laughs> real quick. Sorry, guys, am I killing you? Okay, <laughs> so hold on. Let me, I'm enlarging it just a little bit. Okay. After researching the term two-spirit in Alaska archives and libraries, it is clearly a term that is not inherent to Alaska Natives, but coined by Canadian Native Americans at the Native American First Nations Gay and Lesbian Conference as of late 1990. It had to be Canadians. Okay. <laughs> Anyways, furthermore... Two-spirit is not a loosely employed term, but the Rainbow Research Resource Center rather describes them as a rare and distinct people who were gifted among all beings. Okay. <laughs> okay. Therefore, indoctrinating children at ANHC by publicly designating their gender posture and identity as we're all two-spirited is factually erroneous and should not be generalized as traditional to our Alaska Native culture. So right here, it sounds like uh, Alaska Watchman is pretty upset because they're attacking the culture. But wait, there's more. <laughs> this burlesque story hour? Oh my god. <laughs> Does not tell... Okay, wait, hold on. Okay. He says, I am confident you are well aware of Alaska Native Heritage Center's mission statement, which states... Alaska Native Heritage Center preserves and strengthens the traditions, languages, and art of Alaska's Native people through statewide collaboration, celebration, and education. 
the first action verb of your mission as the board of directors is to persevere. If your mission is to persevere and strengthen traditions of the Daskan people, I challenge you to focus on preserving our culture and language rather than borrowing modern terms from neighboring Native Americans to promote a sexualized agenda for our children. All right, now we're getting into the thick of it. Oh my goodness. It is public news that AMHC recently received a generous donation from well-known liberal activist Mackenzie Scott. The Drag Queen Story Hour promote promotional states that funding for the event was provided in part by the United States Department of Health and Human Services. Now our government and your taxpayer dollars is being funding... <laughs> Our taxpayer dollars are funding drag queens. Who knew this is the golden age of the drag queens, ladies and gentlemen, where the United States government will pay you to go out and molest and, and indoctrinate children. That's crazy. That is crazy, guys. It is clear that ANHC, by housing this event, chooses to place their priorities on special interest party groups rather than carrying out the organization's mission. Images captured from ANHC Drag Queen Story Hour clearly show that Ivana Kishakok, I guess otherwise known as Russ, <laughs> uh, that's a terrible name, Ivana Kishakok. That's terrible. Can you, do you know what she's saying? She wants to kiss a you-know-what. She wants to kiss a rainbow butt monkey dildo. Anyways, one of the performing queens exposed his undergarments to the children who attended. Because let's face it, no one would love someone that looks like that. So they're hoping the children get aroused. Sorry, guys, that was not appropriate. This disclosure is indecent viewing. Is this depiction is this a depiction of Alaska Native cultural preservation? If drag queens were such a prevalent part of Alaska Native culture, why weren't any of the performing drag queens of Alaska Native ancestry? Good point there, Alaska Watchmen. Where are the historical documents and photographs of drag queens from Alaska natives? Where is uh, Sacagawea? <laughs> Just kidding. Anyways, <clears throat> any where's Tonto? <laughs> where's Geronimo? Any rational parent who views these pictures would conclude that this behavior is normalizing sexuality among children. It is irresponsible for ANHC to condone such conduct in a state where child sexual assault is six times higher than the national average as reported by Sexual Trauma Prevention and Response of Alaska. That's terrible, guys. If exposed in public view and these performances are praised, how is a child to exercise judgment when an imminent threat is present? God dang, guys, the points. The recent Drag Queen Story Hour is a direct assault on Alaska Native culture. This event not only encourages historical fallacy, but disregards and masks the continuing trauma and child abuse, which is already rampant in our state. This burlesque story hour does not tell our story and is not what the majority of our people want to be remembered for, nor is it what we want our future to be, entrusted into the hands of our young Alaska Native children. What a story, but wait, there's more. <laughs> there's more, ladies and gentlemen. It's not over yet. Alaska Natives unite 
to defend their heritage against leftist attacks. So clearly, they're not just seeing this as an attack on their culture, but they can identify that this kind of garbage is clearly coming from a certain mindset, a certain type of political and I don't know what kind of creature you would call it, but it's a creature by any means. They understand who it is that are making up these narratives, right? This is this was a, this was a gold mine right here, guys. <laughs> this was a gold mine. Okay, <clears throat> real quick, guys. This one's not as long as the last one. It says, "Good we- uh, good men and women are often stirred into action in the face of evil." This appears to be the case in the wake of the Alaska Native Heritage Center's decision to host a sexualized drag queen show for young children last month. A group of Alaska Natives have formed a new group. One Spirit Warriors, with the aim of preserving traditional Alaska Native family values. The organization launched a Facebook page to organize efforts aimed at defending future generations from propaganda and programs that seek to twist Alaska Native heritage for leftist cultural agendas, especially with regard to human sexuality. We stand up for the legacy of our ancestors. We stand behind leaders who share wholesome values, and we stand against the message that Alaska Natives have a fluid sexual identity, the group boldly states. One Spirit Warriors will fight for Alaska Native children in their innocence. This is exactly the type of grassroots citizen-directed organization that can make a positive difference here in our own backyard. Check them out at, well, does it say where at? Oh, the Facebook group. All right, guys, if you're interested, go to Alaska Watchmen. That's where this comes from. A very interesting article, very hot tip. Thank you, Zena. That was very entertaining for me. Now, guys, here's the thing that I have to say, okay, because I know there's probably people out there. (laughs) There are probably people out there that are like, why do you hate drag queens so much? I don't hate drag queens, okay? Like, I've known several drag queens. I've broken bread with drag queens. I mean... Let's face it, guys. Prior to RuPaul's Drag Race, dra- I can't even talk. Prior to RuPaul's Drag Race, the only place that a drag queen could get work is where they, I mean, I hate to say it, but it's where they belong in a bar doing a show or in a, a, in a nightclub or in a theater or on Broadway or in Las Vegas, you know. Um, uh, but th- the line is being drawn where you start doing it to the children and you start sexualizing them and th- just confusing them even more, right? But what I will say is because when, when, when someone was a drag queen prior to 2008, <laughs> in order to make a living, if that's all that they did, you know, I mean, there's no telling what they had to do. Okay, the uh, the the sordid life of a drag queen prior to 2008, and trust me, guys, the life of a drag queen is still pretty sordid, if I may say so, based on some of the people I've known in my life and some of the stories that I've heard. Um, uh, I mean, oh God, like I, I wouldn't, I would say that there were probably some good intentioned drag queens out there. There are probably some good intentioned drag queens out there that were like, oh, yes, another revenue stream, uh, another chance to share my art. Because to some people, it's actually art. I've actually met some individuals who were not into the whole women, man as a woman thing, but they were performers. 
Uh, were they gay? At least 90% of them, right? Okay, but, you know, I would not doubt that there were a few of them out there that, yes, they, they thought, hey, this is a great idea. We can share our art and then we can, like, go, uh, you know, make a name for ourselves doing something bigger in our community. I imagine that was the case with some of them. But then you had all the ones that were high on meth methamphetamines going out there. <laughs> then you had the ones that are always high on poppers going out there in their demon costumes and their rainbow butt monkey dildos. And that, yeah, okay, that's, guys, that, you know, it's, it was just a bad idea, guys. It was just a bad idea, okay? Because after all, that type of lifestyle should be relegated to, again, like I said, nightclubs. I mean, uh, we've read the articles in Mr. C in the Dark where they're talking about having children going into nightclubs, you know, or, or, and, and they're do, I mean, you don't, you don't, you don't take your kids to a gay club. You don't do it. Don't do it. Like they are going to see things that they should not be seeing point blank period. Like, no, don't take your kids to a gay club. I don't care how fancy it looks or how swaggy it looks. It doesn't matter. Don't do it. You just don't do certain things. Okay. And, and you're trying to teach inclusivity by taking your child to a gay club. Like, you know, how many poppers did you smell when you were growing up? I mean, I don't get, you know, guys, <laughs> it's terrible. Okay. With that said, I will thank I will thank Dra Dragon Energy 45 and Xena. Thank you again uh, for the tip off on those stories <laughs> because we would not have talked about that tonight had you not. Now, ladies and gentlemen, let's return back to the chat recap for yesterday. <laughs> Can you guys believe that was a chat recap? Okay. All right. Ohio Kimmy gifted a cookie. Dragon Energy gifted a cookie. Um, and then we also had one, two, three, SKG gifting a can. The Texan stops on in, says, kick some corn and ass, Mr. C. The speak and easy Cornyn is a puto. Yes, indeed. Uh, at least I know there are three guys in the chat room that won't be voting for Corden. But then the question is, who's going to be running against him? We have to make sure that that indeed is a good person. I had another thought along those lines as well, but I cannot remember what it was prior to showtime. Uh, let's see. Another cookie from Ohio Kimmy. Thank you again. Jonah, uh, Joan of Sark in the house. Sonia JHC says, I sent Abbott a piece of my mind in a survey. They shouldn't have asked my opinion. It was four paragraphs long. God bless you, Sonia JHC. I wonder if he actually reads it. I doubt it. But hey, the point is to get your uh, get your your opinion and your will out there to them. And also my prayers to you, Sonia, uh, in this time for you. Uh, hang in there, sweetie. One, two, three, SKG gifted a can. One, two, three, SKG says, where is Rick Perry? He's been keeping a low profile. Boy, I have this clip of Rick Perry. <laughs> sitting in Congress on record saying some pretty gay things, okay? <laughs> I was like, Rick, <laughs> you guys don't usually pop out of the closet like that. <clears throat> Anyways, maybe I'll share it sometimes. Always in Texas when that was in the house, Raja D was also in the house. The speak uneasy says rhinos have an ED problem. <laughs> No balls either. I would say to that, they probably got their vaccines. Look it up, ladies and gentlemen. Babs the Ice Queen, Christina, Christina Fontana, also hanging out. Tam Growl, also donating a can. Thank you so much. Uh, let's see, who's that? One Scott, Vanguard, 360, Philly Q, Bill Tech, TG, 
TG Patriots 20Q 20Q or 2Q 2Q 2020, Angle and PN or Pan or Pennsylvania Ann all hanging out yesterday for the show. Oh boy, I wasn't sure if I was going to get through that chat recap, y'all. That was kind of fun. I hope you guys enjoyed that. All right, ladies and gentlemen, it is now time to begin today's C report. <clears throat> I hope you all are enjoying yourselves as well out there in the chat. Uh, I went through a list of names here uh, Texas Gal, Gary Flesner, Tam Growl. Uh, let's see who else we got here. Christina Fontana, D Railing, D Patriot, seventeen seventy six, FMJ seventy six by thirty nine, pilled by the rabbit. Uh, let's see here. Oh, Jess V, hello, sweetie, and thank you for the can. Desert Fire Jen, how you doing tonight? Nick Walls is also hanging out. Hey, Nick, how's it going, buddy? And let's see, uh, S Boxer also in the house. P Ann, did I say your name right? I said P Ann or Pan or Pennsylvania Ann. Pick one, okay. <laughs> You tell me, Aurelius Log, just jumping in. Okay, guys, let's go ahead and get started with the show today before we get too long on things. I just, that was fun. Okay, I had a good time with that. All right, so uh, let's see here. Where are we? Oh, wait, how could I forget? Trump leads at the Sea Report, as always. Okay. All right, so we had a few, well, actually today, he had a whole bunch of, in case you missed it, moments. Uh, that we're not going to, we're not, we're, well, I guess if you missed it, you missed it. Because <laughs> we're not going to cover them here on the C-Report. Um, let, me, let me think of what they were. Um, he had one, ta- I don't remember. <laughs> I don't remember. I checked it quite a, a while ago. But uh, yes, uh, d- oh, there it is. Okay. Yes, is in case you missed it moments. Uh, he was talking about an article from Ben Weingarten, uh, Trump's Greatest Achievements. That was over at the American Mind. So uh, if you're interested in reading about Trump, we know what his achievements are. We know how great they are. I didn't read the article, but I'm curious to note if he talks about, uh, you know, um, nationalizing the Federal Reserve Central Bank of America. I personally think that that is one of his greatest achievements. Like he's like, you know, he's right under Andrew Jackson, right? Andrew Jackson, who like just booted him out. Right. So I was like, Ooh, I mean, that's, that's, Oh, that was like right here. When, whenever he nationalized the fed, I mean, it's not hundred percent gone yet. You know, I mean, obviously it's still there and Janet Yellen is pulling the strings over at the fed because I mean, over at the treasury, because the Fed is part of the Treasury. I haven't heard anything to the opposite of that. Like, I haven't heard about them pulling it out or or making a brand new um, uh, uh, contract or whatever you call it um, between the Fed and them. So I don't know. But God, guys, that was my dog in the fight from the jump. The Fed is what woke me up back in like 05. <laughs> so when he nationalized it, I got drunk for days. Okay, two. Just two, okay? Uh, and then, of course, he also had, in the case you missed it moment, uh, with Representative Jim Jordan. Um, uh, Jim Jordan says, Trump's going to be the next president. GOP will take the House. That was an article over at OAN. So good stuff. He congratulated Natalie Harper um, for her opening monologue um, in regards to Garland Favorito. She interviewed Garland Favorito. Maybe we should have played that. Maybe we should have played that here tonight. Um, uh, I read her monologue and it was a really good monologue. They have the transcript available um, on uh, President Trump's um, uh, telegram. And um, it's, it's uh, basically what Natalie Harp over at OAN does 
is she puts she she tells you everything that happened in Georgia sequentially with fire on her tongue and daggers in her eyes at the representatives, including Rob Pitt. You guys remember we talked about Rob Pitt. He was the, uh, he was, uh, what did the speaker Nisi call him? He called him, uh, he looked like a demon or something. <laughs> I said he looked like a demon. Uh, speaker Nisi had something much clever, much more clever than that though. I can't remember what it was, but um, uh, yeah, he's, he's the guy uh, who was the, was the chairman, I think of the, the uh, election board or something. Rob Pitt, that man, yes, him. Um, and he's the one who's calling for, Georgia to go uh, have their Georgia Bureau of Investigations and for them to, you know, but but, but her um, breakdown of everything from point A to point B, including all of the inner workings of like uh, um, uh, uh, Speaker Ralston and and, you know, of course, the Lieutenant Governor and and of course, Kemp and and the SOS, the Secretary of Snakes. Uh, all of that interchanging, the Fulton County uh, elections director, Richard Barron, all of that together. Very good, very, very good, um, very good, very good breakdown. I would recommend it. Actually, I might look it up. Uh, maybe we'll play it on, um, maybe we'll play it on Mr. C in the Dark on Friday. Um, it's, I mean, cause I, I mean, the transcript is great. I was like, wow, this is how news does it. Like people who are news broadcasters. I, I almost thought about, uh, reading it to you guys. Like I was on OAN. <laughs> I was like, wow, I just need a teleprompter, but they actually write out full scripts. I was like, wow, this is crazy. I was like, who does that? <laughs> Uh, but I mean, you know, I mean, not everyone can speak extemporaneously, especially when you're a professional like that. I guess I could understand. Um, but uh, wow, wouldn't that be something? I think that would be hard for me to do. Um, I, I mean, even at the onset, you know, like I read the articles here, but I don't know. I'm just getting a little bit long winded on that. I was very impressed by her breakdown. Uh, I was very impressed by it. So I thought it was pretty cool that President Trump gave her a shout out for it. Plus, totally explains in very lay terms exactly what went down in Georgia, who did what and why they did it and why it's wrong and why, and why they're wrong for even suggesting such things. So uh, Natalie Harp, I think we'll probably play that on Mr. C in the dark. I should probably make a note somewhere so I don't forget, but we will probably play that on Mr. C in the dark on Friday. So you guys can check it out if you haven't seen it yet. Uh, let's see. President Trump, the great Bobby Bowden, has been a winner all of his life, and he will continue to win. Great fight. Fight hard, Bobby Bowden. Fight hard. Okay, I didn't do my homework. Bobby Bowden is a football coach. <laughs> oh, okay. I see what's up. I see what's up. He is uh, battling pancreatic cancer. Ah, that is not a laughing matter. Uh, but uh, President Trump is throwing out his support. And I'm sure we can throw out our prayers uh, for he in his time of need. So Bobby Bowden uh, battling pancreatic cancer. Yeah, that, that kind of like dropped it down. <laughs> that kind of dropped it down a little bit. Okay, let's go ahead and get into uh, his final statement for tonight. Uh, it says, uh, Republican Arizona State Senator Paul Boyer, a rhino, if there ever was one, is doing everything in his power to hold up the damning forensic audit of Maricopa County, which has been taking place over the last 90 days. The people of Arizona are demanding it. Boyer has been nothing but trouble 
and nobody knows why. All we demand is voter integrity. He's being primaried by a strong and highly respected challenger, former Arizona senator, or sorry, state representative, Anthony Kern. Okay, so putting my putting my script together for tonight, <laughs> when I saw that, I was like, hey, I'm talking about this Senator Boyer tonight. So it's like, cha-ching. Okay, no, nothing big, nothing to it. Just, you know, it's nice to have small personal synchronicities. Now, okay, so we're going to talk about Boyer in a minute. Boyer is basically the one to blame. He is the one, the one. If you wanted to point your finger at someone, you're going to point it at Boyer. When they start talking about how they can't do these recalls or when they start talking about how come Maricopa County Board of Supervisors were not arrested for violating a court order, it's Boyer's fault. Okay, it's Boyer's fault. A Republican. So we're going to talk a little bit more about that in just a sec just a sec but i was like all right okay we are on the target tonight sir okay and then just as a friendly reminder ladies and gentlemen don't you forget now we have president trump speaking live at the rally to protect our elections now this is going to be on saturday that's this saturday july 24th live from phoenix arizona now, the specs on that, uh, this is going to be uh, uh, um, a rally being held at the Arizona Federal Theater, 400 West Washington Street, Phoenix, Arizona, free on a first-come, first-serve basis. If you live in Arizona and you're not there, I wish I was. Anyways, uh, the rally is from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. Uh, so we will be broadcasting that live here on the C, Mr. C channel at the Foxhole app, Mr. C, uh, uh, the Mr. C TV over on Trovo and the C report over at Twitch. But you guys know where you want to be. Be hanging out with us on Saturday. Uh, like I said, the rally will be live from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. Uh, we will most likely go live here at 3 p.m. Central Time. Uh, well, actually, let me take that back. If 5 p.m. Phoenix time is, I'm terrible at time. Is that 7 p.m.? No. Okay, someone figure the time out for me. Anyways, we'll be live two hours before the conclusion. Okay, it'll be myself and the Texan. Uh, myself and the Texan will be in the house. So if you guys want to come hang out with uh, the fam while we watch President Trump's speech over at the Protect Our Elections rally, I will definitely hold the door open for you all. And, uh, you know, we'll leave the lights on and someone I'll figure out these these time zones for me. <laughs> We'll be here. We'll be live. I promise you guys uh, at Mr. CTV, God willing. So uh, I invite everyone who's interested to come. Bring your snacks. Always bring your snacks because you never know what's going to happen. Uh, and yeah, all that good stuff. Okay. So, all right. Just want to make sure I got that out to you guys before we go on with the show. Who is that man? Who is that man? I cannot stand that man. If there was a man that I cannot stand, it is that man that you are looking at right now. And his name is Robert Francis O'Rourke. Okay. Some of you people might know him as Beto O'Rourke. Beto O'Rourke. Oh, I cannot stand this guy. Okay. Anyways, I can't stand him. I can't stand you. Anyways. Okay. Sorry. Beto O'Rourke. Why is his ugly mug... I found the most unflattering picture of him I could find. Okay. <laughs> anyway.
anyways, because besides his overbite, right, he has a tremendous overbite. It's almost as bad as Ali Akbar's, okay? So aside from his overbite, like, you know, he's he 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 tends to be as photogenic as possible. So I was like, hey, someone else out there does not like Beto, apparently, because they put this picture of him on the internet. Okay, so Beto O'Rourke. Here's why we're talking about Beto. Okay, aside from the fact that he wants to take your guns, aside from the fact that he wants open borders, aside from the fact that he tried to strip the heritage out of downtown El Paso and land deals with his stepfather, I mean stepfather, with his father-in-law, Beto O'Rourke is actually the man responsible for paying for the runaway Dems to flee to Washington, D.C. Okay, I was like, really, Beto? Like, you lost the Senate race, you lost the presidential race, why won't you just go away? (laughs) Why won't you just go away? Oh, goodness, let's hold hold on. Did you hear that? Okay. (laughs) What is up? Okay. Thank you. My... An associate tells me that Arizona is two hours behind us. Okay, so we will be on at 1 p.m. <laughs> we'll be on at 1 p.m. on Saturday. Okay, we'll figure it out, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for that. I appreciate it. Okay, so, okay, getting back to this loser. All right, uh, loser. I'm not just saying a loser because I'm being mean. He lost the Senate race. He lost the presidential race, like his bid for president. So he's a loser, okay? I mean, he won't go away. He has been a constant thorn in the side of everyone. Even when the city of San Antonio was having their elections, this guy was a thorn in their side because he was propping up Prop B, which would have defunded the police in San Antonio. You're from El Paso, buddy. What the heck are you doing getting involved in San Antonio politics? You're like a clear, like, what, four or five hours away from us. You know, you're totally different counties. I mean, granted, they're both like what? you know, uh, Democrat strongholds, right? But uh, buddy, buddy pal, man, get the heck out of my county, okay? (laughs) Like, what are you doing over here, Beto? Robert Francis O'Rourke? Okay, so anyway, so Robert Francis O'Rourke, he funneled... (laughs) Sorry, Eddie. (laughs) Mind out of the gutter, Mr. C. He funneled... $600,000 to the Texas House Democrats in Washington, D.C. $600,000 to help fund their stay while they're off on their little Alice in Wonderland trip to, uh, you know, Washington, D.C. to go ahead and waste taxpayers' dollars. So here's the thing. You know, we know that they're making, what, six six fifty a month on this special legislation, but they're also getting a $221 per diem. Okay, so that's like, what, uh, four weeks? It's about a month long. That's $4,000 plus $600. That's almost half of $10,000. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Anyways, okay, bad with math, guys, I told you. Okay, so, I mean, uh, uh, okay, so here's the thing, though, is that the Democrats were not just going to uh, hop, skip, and a jump for a few weeks. They are planning to stay there the entire session. They are going to stay there the entire session, which, if I'm not mistaken, ends on August 8th, if I read correctly. Like, they're not, they, they're not joking. So this loser decides to fund them 
raises $600,000. Their real goal, the real goal for all of this is $1.5 million. He wanted to raise $1.5 million to pay for their hotel, their food, their transportation, not to mention the two private jets that they all got COVID on. And then also to help them with their bills. Okay, because they're so brave for absconding and dereliction of duty and job abandonment, right? He's like, well, we'll we'll at least help you out for these last few months that you are employed by the United States government. Employed, did I say that? Oh, I meant that you are in service to the people whom you're supposed to be representing. Beto O'Rourke, this loser, I don't doubt that he's going to run again. Something just tells me he's going to run again. Like, okay, okay, so there's more to that. Okay, so anyways, the funds, like I said, they're supposed to pay for virtually, uh, oh, also some conference that they were having over there in Washington, D.C. that no one really cares about. Um, now, here was the other kicker. <laughs> here was the other kicker. Okay, uh, uh, <laughs> guess who else funded <laughs> Do y'all guys know who else funded this man? <laughs> okay. I tell you guys, I look for the most, yeah, unaccommodating photos I can find. Willie Nelson. Okay. Willie Nelson. He donated also $5,000, not quite the sum of $600,000, but Willie Nelson threw in $5,000. I was like, I don't like you, Willie. I don't care how many joints you smoke. I don't care how cool the millennials think you are. I'm not going to show you with a picture with your two pigtails. Okay, man. Like, we're done, Willie. Actually, I was never a fan of Willie anyways. Uh, but yeah, isn't that heartbreaking? You guys remember the pictures of Willie Nelson <clears throat> with his arms around Peto O'Rourke, <laughs> Peto O'Rourke, uh, with his arms around Beto or Robert Francis at his concert. And he was there doing like, you know, um, what do you call it? He was, he was fundraising for him and all that crap. Well, anyways, Robert Francis O'Rourke managed to get, uh, you know, this guy here, Willie Nelson to, uh, to cough up $5,000 to help pay. I mean, it was the single largest contribution to this entire, this entire scheme, uh, you know, because the rest of it was uh, made up of individual donations, believe it or not. Like, they actually, like, how did we not see this coming? Because apparently they were publicly uh, promoting and um, they were publicly promoting and also, like, advertising and asking for money. Like, to all of their donors, to everyone. They were like, hey, give us money. So this way, you know, uh, we can, like, uh, send the Democrats to Washington, D.C. and do all this other junk. And I was like, dang. That's pretty, that's pretty hostile if you ask me. But anyways, um, yeah, so that's Willie Nelson. Just a little bit more on Beto O'Rourke to wrap him up into a little ball of, you know. Okay, so Robert Francis O'Rourke, okay. Now, this guy supposedly shot to stardom, uh, you know, mimicking every, like, uh, every cadence and uh, vocal inflection of Barack Obama, right? He was like, well, if I manage to sound like Barack Obama, I, I probably did William Shatner, not Barack Obama. But anyways, like, he figured out, you know, if I, if I emulate Barack Obama, 
they're probably bed buddies, you know, like then, 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 then people will love me. Right. Uh, never mind. Anyways. Okay. So, uh, but this man actually is not, he's not by any means, uh, a, a, a regular Joe, right? He's not a man. He's not a man's man. He's not a layman by any means necessary. I mean, his whole family is wrapped up in politics. His dad died in a supposed bike accident, but I think really it was, I think he was killed. Honestly, it was like broad, daylight and some van ran into him okay <laughs> like i don't know why they wanted him dead but they wanted him dead okay and then robert o'francis o'rourke marries into uh, the family of a very wealthy like this dude on the screen here his name is bill sanders and he was called the warren buffett of real estate okay he's worth at least 500 million dollars Conservatively speaking, so states Forbes magazine. Sanders has also helped to make Beto and his wife, Amy O'Rourke, millionaires. Okay, so Beto doesn't come from nowhere or nothing. Like Beto, he comes from money. And he's been in city government ever since he cleaned up his act. I don't know if you guys ever saw the video of him in a bunny costume playing guitar in his punk band, right? Okay, so anyways, so uh, I guess once he cleaned up, you know, because this, this dude is a radical. Beto O'Rourke is a progressive radical. Like he believes in radical theories and ideas. He gave his father-in-law a book called The Radical Revolution of El Paso or some crap like that. So anyways, this guy, nah, real bad. We already knew he was a bad story, but at least you know he's really, really, really bad rot. And like he's even made deals when he was on city council that like almost gave away neighborhoods to like his father's uh, real estate business, his father-in-law's real estate business, for example. His father-in-law, like I said, has made them plenty of money. He's very rich. He's very wealthy, very secretive man who owns or owned, I should say in past tense, a lot of um, a, a lot of land and property on the border of New Mexico and Mexico. Like we're talking thousands of acres. Now, last time I read, he had actually started selling off some of this land. And, you know, we're not going to go into conspiracy theory land because I've had conspiracy speculations, whatever you want to call them, ideas about some of the things that happen down on the border, especially especially on these large plots of land that are for development. So they're basically empty plots of land for development. Right. And uh, there was this one story I shared with you guys this one time about how they had found like this, like, um, what would you call it? a camp? And it was in Arizona. Uh, on the border, basically, uh, where it looked like, you know, there might have been some kind of trafficking going on. So anyways, I'm not saying that that's the case here when it comes to uh, Bill Sanders. Um, I think uh, it was called the Santa Maria or Santa Marita, something like that, that was in New Mexico. Uh, I, I remember, if you guys remember the very first video that the news ever showed, of a child being dropped over the border wall and landing on America's side, that was actually on one of his territories down on the border between New Mexico and Mexico and El Paso. Like that was actually owned by Bill Sanders. I don't know if he still owns it because the last article I read from the El Paso Times, I think, was he was selling he was selling a lot of that property. You know, I mean, other than that, the only other thing that I've heard is that they own train tracks and stuff through their personal property. And there's no telling what goes into that, to be quite honest with you. Uh, but there's a little bit of history on this loser. And uh, yeah, can't stand him. Can't stand him. 
Anyways, his dad, his father, I keep saying his dad, his father-in-law, um, he, he gave uh, $37,500 to a super PAC that uh, worked to help O'Rourke win his congressional seat. So, you know, he was a former representative, right? Then he tried to be a senator. Then he tried to be the president. Didn't work. Um, he's also given $27,000 uh, for when he was running for Senate and for president. So, yeah, Beto comes from money. And now he's giving his money away to Democrats in the state of Texas to run away, to run away to Washington, D.C. and catch COVID and uh, waste everybody's time, basically, ladies and gentlemen. Cannot stand Beto O'Rourke. Did I mention that, ladies and gentlemen? <laughs> okay, we got some, now we got something to change the tone a little bit, ladies and gentlemen. This is that bright star of light, Wendy Rogers. Lieutenant Colonel, Senator of the state of Arizona. We're going to wrap up some stuff here uh, with uh, this whole Senate, House, recall electors, decertify election thing. Anyways, I love Senator Wendy Rogers. She is an amazing woman. I love her spirit. I love her positivity. She speaks positive. She thinks positive. She's a real go-getter. I love her. She's great, great people, right? So anyhow, she was uh, on Bannon's War Room, and uh, we're going to listen to this interview because, again, we're, uh, we're addressing again. <laughs> Maybe it's for myself. I need this, guys. I needed to hear this. <laughs> I needed to hear this because I was like, oh, my God, where are we going to go with this? So we're going to listen to Senator Wendy Rogers on Steve Bannon again, addressing the entire issue. And we're going to run this into the grave, guys. We're going to run this into the grave until everybody knows the states have the right to decertify should the House and the Senate reach an agreement, so to speak, uh, not notwithstanding Senator Paul Boyer, obviously, because he's a jerk. But never mind that. Before we get into talking about that loser, let's go ahead and check out this interview with Wendy Rogers on Steve Bannon's War Room. At us, uh, particularly after the, the, the hearing last week, of where do you think the state Senate, you guys stand in regards to Maricopa County and these unanswered questions? And when do you think we're going to get a little more definitive results of the, actually the, the latest count of the ballots themselves, ma'am? Well, good morning, Steve. Good morning, everyone from uh, hot, muggy uh, Phoenix. I'm uh, here in my Phoenix area home, eagerly anticipating uh, seeing President Trump here on Saturday, which is uh, my birthday. So it'll be a great birthday present. Uh, we are leading the charge here in Arizona uh, to say that decertification should happen. Uh, when the uh, hearing was conducted last Thursday, uh, we were first to lean forward to say that all is not right with uh, our ship of state in terms of the certification that we handed in uh, many months ago. And uh, even though Governor Ducey uh, signed this certification, we have the plenary power as the state legislature, both the Arizona Senate and the Arizona House, to make that final decision. And so as such, um, I was... Uh, uh, forward-leaning in saying that we should eventually here now uh, decertify because that certification we handed in uh, months ago was now uh, is now found to be inaccurate. Well, this is a, a huge step. You, you're prepared. You've seen enough, or you feel you've seen enough that you don't need to expand this. We had even Carrie Lake yesterday said expand it to Pinal and Pima County. 
or the entire state. You believe you've seen enough right now just coming out of Maricopa that you're prepared to move to uh, decertify the electors? Oh, that's affirmative. And again, to decertify is to say that what we handed you, federal government, was not accurate. It's not to say we have full and final proof necessarily, but we have doubt now and we have confirmation that the data points that we did turn in were not accurate. Oh, uh, I would love it if it expanded to Pima and Pinal and one of my own four counties, uh, Coconino. But um, I'll just tick off a few of the most troublesome data points, I'm sure which your audience uh, being as astute as it is, uh, is aware of. But of course we had the uh, 37,000 security queries in March of uh, deleted logs. We had the almost 4,000 voters who were uh, registered after the 15th of October, who still got to vote. We have the uh, most egregious and troublesome data point of the 74,000 plus uh, ballots that were mailed in, but uh, presumably never sent out to begin with. And so how does Maricopa explain that? And that's the whole sort of narrative. I mean, it, it, it's up to them to explain this. Okay, but the, a couple of things. Brett Baer over at Fox News the okay. next day said, hey, there's nothing to see here. There's a couple hundred ballots, that's it. Uh, he dismissed all this as basically some administrative issues that Maricopa County has over and over again explained uh, to the to the Senate. Uh, what say you about that? That's ludicrous. It, it, why is it ludicrous? Well, because what, like for, first... Okay. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead, ma'am. Okay, so we have we have all of these anomalies that have been uh, discovered by uh, cyber ninjas, by cipher that are inexplicable. And for the left and the media to simply uh, sweep it under the carpet uh, is is not is not credible. Uh, we also have you know the the envelopes that went out uh, uh, from sorry, the envelopes that had to have been checked on a 20-point basis ended up uh, just being passed through on Election Day. Uh, We have had evidence of shared passwords among all the people who, uh, election officials who had access uh, to the system. We have an antivirus uh, definition that wasn't updated since 2019, uh, which begs the question of connectivity to the Internet. you know, uh, numerous things. Plus, you have this letter that went out October 22nd uh, from Maricopa County that basically said, um, you know, we need uh, Sharpie markers, markers they call them, on election day to be uh, handed out rather than ballpoint pens. And so to that point, you know, you have sort of a setup that, that happened where we know that the uh, conventional wisdom was Republicans predominantly voted on election day to make sure their ballot made it. And so, you know, I did a little experiment and marked this uh, typically uh, thin piece of paper from my printer yep. with a with mark and it leads through, you know. So yep. these are the kinds of things that uh, for Brett Bear to simply say nothing here is not credible. So, so Maricopa County is obviously not going to cooperate with this. They're kind of coming back every day. So 
what's the you're going to get even another bombshell probably in let's say a week uh between the hard count what do you guys anticipate you're going to have to do to move this forward to actually move to a decertification because maricopa county i think is basically said now we've given you everything we've got or we've given you everything we're going to give you and you're just going to have to embrace the suck so so what say you uh senator rogers what are you guys prepared to do what, what's the senate prepared to do next well, we have to absolutely follow through, and we're not just accepting that as an answer. And uh, I know that Senator uh, Karen Fan, President Karen Fan, is uh, pursuing this tenaciously. Uh, Maricopa still needs to hand over 40% of the machines and the routers. Uh, the company still has the passwords. Uh, we are doing everything we can to coalesce a support among ourselves, but also in a parallel uh, mode uh, to go after the county. We we are not. Uh, accepting uh, their answer. And so, you know, in order to do this, we do need a majority of the Senate and the House. And this is a situation where, uh, you know, the best course of action is to pursue, pursue, pursue. And what the left does and what the mainstream media does is just try to to obfuscate and confuse people and sweep it under the carpet. And but for you say you say mainstream media, you got Fox and, and let's be honest, Newsmax won't touch won't touch the story. They won't cover it as a news story. What's uh, Raheem? What's the deputy attorney general's name? Carlin, the, the one you Pamela. Pamela, what's the name? Carlin. Pamela Carlin sent a letter out to you guys, uh, Senator, Senator Rogers, uh, uh, I guess a couple of months ago, implying that if you guys continue down this path, citizens and patriots are that, particularly if it's in regards to the canvas or the re-canvas, you could be subject to criminal penalties. And I understand you had a pretty big blowback on Merrick Garland that day. What's your stand today? Because the Justice Department, you know, the House has already said they're going to investigate you. The House of Representatives is going to investigate you. The Justice Department's all over you. What do you have to say to federal officials in Washington, D.C. that are trying to intrude now into your plenary powers? Bring it on, federal government. We're not standing for it. Uh, we are the state of Arizona, and uh, we have our uh, trusted authority from the U.S. Constitution, and uh, we will stand firm and we will not back down. Uh, you understand that you've inspired, you know, particularly the way you guys have handled this and comported yourself. So many people have come out there and made the pilgrimage. And I've heard so many positive things from people saying, man, this is really the way we want to do it, or we want to do an Arizona Plus, but we've learned so many lessons from that. What would you say for people throughout the nation? We now have uh, this uh, in, in Telegram, you have this America First audits, America First chat. You've got all 50 states, Dave Clemens, uh, Captain Seth Keschel. You have others that are saying, hey, we need to get to the bottom of what happened on November 3rd in every state in, in the country, in every county. We need to see exactly what happened because you're going to see, you know, other situations. I've argued that the Senate seat in Arizona, I think, is totally up in the air. And I don't know why Mitch McConnell is, is still working with these guys, given that Georgia in, in Arizona, but you've inspired everybody. What would you say to people that want to get to the bottom of all of it, that think all 50 states that have a full forensic audit? What, what words of advice would you have? You took the words right out of my mouth. I think every county that has had these machines in every state uh, should be audited because they're absolutely uh, suspect. And I uh, myself have had the honor to host all these uh, folks many of whom uh, came from so many states uh, around the country. And you know what they would tell me, Steve? 
they'd say, it's all well and good that we want to fix it for 2022, but we have to get to the truth of 2020. Our constituents in these other states sent us here on our own dime to find out what the truth is for 2020. And because we have, I guess you could say, this, this packageable uh, approach now, uh, because we did it for 2.1 million ballots, and admittedly we're not quite done yet, uh, but because we have put this together in an unprecedented way in depth and, and scope, uh, it is now a model that can be followed in other states. And so this is our charge. But for such a time as this, and again, I've said this many times, when I ran for state senate two years ago, if you had told me I'd be at the pointy tip of the sword for a national presidential election as, um, you know, the 16th vote, I mean, each one of us could say we're the 16th vote in the state senate, but with a one vote lead and a body that is, is leading the way, I, I could never have imagined it. But this is why you and I took the oath to the Constitution to to support it domestically and so forth. And so I take that oath very, very seriously. And also people ask me, well, Wendy, how could the Maricopa County supervisors be so intransigent and so obstructionist? I mean, they're Republicans. And all I can say to everyone is they must be very embarrassed uh, because they probably didn't realize that they would be taking on the responsibility for an operation that's been completely uh, taken apart and shown to be flawed. Yep, incompetence and corruption. We gotta go, but I, I gotta say something. In 2018, when uh, Senator Rogers Dinn was running in the House seat, I was honored to meet her out in Arizona. We were showing a film and she showed up for it and she talked and we, I followed her very closely. She lost that race. She's a fourth-turning character. I said there are great things ahead for her, and the reason is she served her country, gave her career, served her country in the Air Force, but a true fighter and a patriot, and it's coming to the forefront. Now a national figure and one of the leaders in this 3 November movement to get to the bottom of what happened. Senator Rogers, the honor. You're a great patriot, and i got to tell you, if you have to be in a fight, you got to be in a fight, you want Wendy Rogers in the, in the, uh, in the trenches with you. So it's a great honor to, uh, to have you on, man. Keep fighting. Thank you, Steve. Anchors away. God bless everyone. All right. Gotta love Wendy Rogers, ladies and gentlemen. Why can't we have more people like her? Why can we not have more people like Wendy Rogers? Um, so there you have it. That's that's at least the third, the third confirmation for myself that in fact, indeed, yes, they're going to continue to fight. They're going to continue to knuckle down on what's going on there. And the main thing here is now between the Senate and the House and the AG, of course, if sleeping A.G. Bronovich decides to wake up and do something because he hasn't done anything yet. I mean, we've been sitting on these subpoenas for what ever. Right. I mean, they had all this stuff issuing out since like January, February. Right. That they've been demanding this stuff. And the Maricopa County Board of Supervisors has still chosen not to act on it. OK, well, OK, so there was a little bit more to it than that. And so, you know, a question that I would have for someone like Senator Rogers is um, uh, because of the fact that it's going to boil down to, of course, uh, um, in the end and in, in the end result at the very, you know, the la is going to result in the state legislature, the House and the Senate making that decision voting on it, whatever you want to say, in regards to decertifying the election and or recalling the electors, what kind of support 
do you have from your peers and colleagues in the state legislature? Like on the percentage point, what would how how many by percent? How many would you say are are actually adamant about uh, doing this? Because apparently, as we've been told, as even some of these brave senators from the state of Arizona have said, they have said they've said we're not doing it just because of us. We're doing it because our constituents want this. Our constituents are the ones who are asking for it. So the people are the ones. The people in Arizona, they are the ones who are pushing this, okay? And they are just acting in accordance of you know, what they're supposed to be doing, right? So I would ask, what what kind of what kind of support does this actually have from their peers in the state legislature? Because when you get down to it, you're going to have rhinos coming out and showing their big old tusks. And letting people know, regardless of what their constituents want, regardless of what the people of Arizona want, they're going to do what they want to do for their own uh, political interests, self-gain, or what is that? Uh, their, their CYA, trying to protect themselves. You know, that's what it's going to boil down to. So that would be a question that I would have. But for the time being, that's the man right there, ladies and gentlemen. That's the man. Okay, wait this way. That's the man. All right. This is the man. It's his fault, okay? This is uh, Senator, uh, what's his name? Senator Paul Boyer, okay? This is the man that President Trump put in his statement today, of all days, right? He must have read the same article that I read this morning uh, because we're talking about Senator Boyer now, all right? This is the man, okay? When we're talking about, remember that face, all right, guys? When we're talking about Maricopa County Board of Supervisors sitting on their hands and not turning over any of the subpoenaed material. No routers, no Splunk logs, nothing, right? They're like, no, we're not going to give you the Dominion passwords. They don't got them. But this is the thing, right? It's his fault. These people, Maricopa County Board of Supervisors, would have been in jail. They would have been arrested, ladies and gentlemen. They would have been arrested, okay? Uh, but because of this man, it did not happen. Now, let's not forget, he's a senator. He's a Republican. He's a rhino, okay? Just like President Trump called him. Now, according to this article that I had read, and I'm going to put this... <laughs> I ain't kidding, guys, you know, because this is going to boil down to the will of the people in Arizona. It's going to boil down to their will and their push. All right. There is the senator's phone number. Call him and tell him to fix his stuff. All right, guys, because of this man, the Maricopa County Board of Supervisors has been able to get away with not turning in any of their subpoenaed materials because of this man. This man specifically, 100%. Now, let me explain. Okay, <laughs> so, uh, okay, so as we know, the uh, uh, Arizona Senate is Republican controlled. Okay, uh, the Maricopa County Board of Officials, they're all Republicans, right? But they are in contempt for refusing to fully comply with election audit subpoenas because of this GOP rhino, Paul Boyer. All right. We're pointing the finger at Boyer, okay? Republicans lost a seat in the state Senate in 2019 and held a narrow 16 to 14 majority. That gives state Senator Paul Boyer the power to stymie 
efforts to hold the county's board of supervisors in contempt. And indeed, ladies and gentlemen, that is exactly what he did. Now, according to uh, to Karen Fan, uh, she actually said on a social media post, Senator Boyer agreed to proceed with the audit, but when Maricopa County Board of Supervisors refused to cooperate, Boyer would not vote with us for the resolution of contempt, which leaves us one vote short. So they actually held a vote to hold the Maricopa County Board of Supervisors in contempt, and this man, Boyer, decided not to vote with his fellow Republicans, decided not to vote with the people of Arizona, decided not to vote for the integrity of our elections, decided not to uphold his oath of office. Why do we seem to have this problem? Why do we seem to have this problem with senators and representatives? I mean, we know why, guys. I'm being rhetorical, obviously. But um, at least we can point the finger at someone, right? <laughs> That's the man. That's his phone number right there. <laughs> you can call him if you want. I mean, I would, but I mean, maybe I should. Anyways, okay. So um, uh, on this issue of funding, now this is the reason why he, he stated some of his reasons for not siding with his fellow senators during this hearing. Uh, because um, he was saying something about how they were only supposed to be spending $150,000 on this entire endeavor, how that figure uh, figures into his decision of whether or not to hold the Maricopa County Board of Supervisors accountable. I don't know. I don't know why that was his argument. But then again, let's not forget, Arizona only paid $150,000. Everything else was paid for out of donations individual and not profits putting in their money to make sure that this integrity of elections occurred in the state of Arizona. Um, let me see here. Uh, it says here that uh, senators voted in February on a measure to hold the board of uh, the board of supervisors in contempt for fa failing to comply with subpoenas. They issued in late 2008 supervisors have repeatedly and willfully delayed and obstructed a vital and duly authorized investigation and let's not forget, even a judge in Arizona said, yes, this is legal. This is lawful. This, I mean, this should pass, basically. Like, there was every reason why the people of Maricopa County Board of Supervisors should not have failed to, to comply. Like, I can't believe it. And, and then we've been talking about this for months, guys. We've been talking about this for months. And now we know it was this man. Paul Boyer, okay? <laughs> Call him, 602-693-3989. All right, tell him to get his stuff fixed. Because seriously, like, this is insane. Like, this is the one individual why they were not arrested, okay? And when I say arrested, uh, let me see, they, they were going to have, like, what, a grand marshal, I think, go in and actually arrest them. Um, let me see. Uh See them. Oh, yeah. It says here the measure would have enabled the Senate to send a sergeant at arms to arrest the supervisors for being in contempt of court. They would literally have been arrested, ladies and gentlemen. The vote went along party lines, except for Boyer, who sided with the Democrats. He sided with the Democrats, making the vote 15 to 15. OK, I think it'd be interesting to find out why. 
It would be interesting to find out why he chose to make the decision. He said this was his this was his this was his uh, stated excuse. My vote is about patience. A little bit more time for us to work together charitably and amicably as friends. Okay, I guess I get it. He sounds like uh, he sounds like Jack Sellers or or one of the other idiots on the Maricopa Board of Super Supervisors who was like, I don't know why they're doing this. Me and Karen Fan were friends. We've known each other for 20 years. And now she wants to see me in jail? Like, really, Mr. Boyer? Really? You're really so concerned about keeping your friends and not becoming the national face of a Benedict Arnold? Like, not becoming the national face of a treasonous SOB when everything is found out? Because when everything comes down, when the hammer is being flung flat. People are going to remember, Mr. Paul Boyer, that you chose not to uphold your duty to your constituents and the people of the Constitution and ensure that this audit went through without a hitch. And the biggest hitch has been these supervisors of Maricopa County not handing over subpoenaed material that by court order they are intended and supposed to do. Paul Boyer, we are calling you out, man. Come to Jesus, my friend. Come to Jesus, okay? Because you're about to get it handed to you. I could tell you that for sure. So the standoff between county and state officials ended... When the judge ruled against the county, again, these were valid issued subpoenas. But there you go, ladies and gentlemen. That's the story of Senator Paul Boyer and his friends at the board of Maricopa County and how he betrayed conservatives, the GOP, and his constituents. He betrayed them. Who else allows a court order to be so audaciously disobeyed, right? Like, in, in whose mind, who of his constituents would think that that's okay? Look, there's his face. Look, bam, that's Paul Boyer. Go get him. All right. Anyways, uh, that right there, ladies and gentlemen, is also the phone number for the Maricopa County Board of Supervisors. So you can call them and tell them to do the right thing. <laughs> because, I mean, I was reading in this article and they were talking to... Uh, uh, former SOS Ken Bennett, the liaison that was working between the Senate and the uh, auditors, and they were asking him, "What can the what can the people of Arizona do at this point? What can the people of Arizona do at this point?" He said, "Call them and tell them how you feel." <laughs> so there's the phone number for the Maricopa County Board of Supervisors: six zero two five zero six thirty eleven. Give them a call and tell them to stop their crap. <laughs> My goodness, ladies and gentlemen, one man, one man, ladies and gentlemen, Paul Boyer. I don't know, guys. This is just one of those episodes tonight. Tonight's just one of those C reports. We're naming names. We're calling him out tonight because <laughs> he's not the last one. I promise you. We got some more coming up. <laughs> so uh, hold on to your horses, ladies and gentlemen. Let's talk about 
Dominion. Oh, what's this? Dominion. <laughs> Let me get this fixed real quick. Okay, hold on. All right, ladies and gentlemen. Now we're going to talk a little bit about the voting machines, okay? We're gonna, because they there's a lot of stories going on with them out there right now. Uh, we're talking about, of course, all of the election equipment, the election machines. Not even talking about the ones that they're refusing to give the routers to over in Maricopa County. We're done with that, okay? <laughs> but, but... Um, it seems that uh, there's a lot there's a lot of stuff going on. Okay, uh, first story that we got for you guys in regards to this is going to take us over to the state of Michigan. Now, don't forget, or please do remember, uh, the last time we talked about the state of Michigan and we talked about um, we talked about the voting machines. What was going on? Uh, we had uh, this um, uh, the, the people who were. The business, the, the contractors who were hired by Dominion to run these elections, they were called Election Source, right? Election Source had sent a notice out to all the counties in Michigan telling them that they were going to do a preemptive, a preemptive maintenance on their voting machines by removing a battery from those machines. You guys remember the story now? This was probably, I don't know, maybe at the end of last week, maybe the beginning of this week. I don't remember myself. But so election source was going to send uh, send a representative out to their county, to their county clerks. Right. Because the county clerks are the ones who are supposed to be running the election in the state of Michigan. Now, he was going to send they were going to send them over there and they were going to remove a battery preemptively maintaining the machine. Why you would preemptively maintenance? I mean, don't you want to just maintenance your machine? Why do you have to preemptively maintenance? Preemptive, I think, is more of a clue of exactly what these people were trying to do. Uh, and that was preemptively strike before they get found out, preemptively cover their own tuchuses, from, you know, uh, discovering that they've done something wrong, like that preemptive, that kind of preemptive, like how are you going to preface something uh, like maintenance with the word like preemptive? It makes no sense, ladies and gentlemen. So election source is going to send out their maintenance man to every county in Michigan, even telling some of the counties, hey, if you can't be there, it's okay. You don't have to be present or, hey, you know what? If it's a bad day for you on the day you have scheduled, why don't you drive your happy little voting machine out to the sister counties around you and we can do it there for you that day? No one's saying whether or not it's even legal for the county clerk to hightail it with their voting machine to have it preemptively maintenance. We don't even know that for a fact, right? Okay, these are all Dominion machines. Okay, so... What we have going on here is so uh, where we last left off, constitutional lawyer Matthew DiPerno had sent a cease and desist letter. Oh, that's Matthew DiPerno. <laughs> In case you didn't know his face. That is Matthew DiPerno. He's the man who's been fighting in uh, the state of Michigan to get a full forensic audit started off in Antrim, has been working through ever since, has not stopped a lot of behind the scenes work going on with this dude. This dude has it down, right? Okay, so Matthew DiPerno, that's the man. He had sent a cease and desist letter. This is the letter. We're not going to read all of it because it is extremely long, but we did share this with you guys. Uh, when it first came out long about July 13th, we probably reported about it on the 14th or so. 
if it wasn't a weekend, I don't remember, but um, let's see here. This was, this was the letter because don't forget election source was going to send their people out. They were going to send their people out to every County in the state of Michigan. So it goes demand for preservation of documents and other things. Now, the reason why this was important, of course, is because when you remove that battery, when you remove that battery from those um, election machines, they reset. They do a hard reset and you lose all your data. And naturally, you're supposed to save your data from the elections. Uh, some, some, uh, some statehoods have it up to like two years, a year and a half that they have to save, if not more, that they have to save all of the data, everything that ever happened in that election. You cannot trash it. You have to archive it, store it, what have you, in case it needs to be referenced in the future, obviously for good purposes. In his deceased, in his deceased, in his cease and desist letter, it says a demand for preservation of documents and other things. Uh, now, this was a letter to dear uh, Mister to dear Mister to Mister De Longchamp. Now, Mister De Longchamp or De Longchamp, he is actually um, um, head of the Election Source Incorporated business. Again, this is. Uh, this is a business that was contracted, subcontracted by Dominion to help run the elections in their machines in the state of Michigan. It says, uh, this morning I received a copy of an email dated July 8th stating that election source will be visiting Michigan counties, precincts, and townships in order to perform preventative maintenance. The letter further states that uh, it is not necessary for the clerk to be on site while we work. We just need access to the equipment. Your email further states that you will be pulling the battery from the units. Considering your profession, you must clearly know this process will erase any volatile microelectronic memory in the machine, destroying any forensic trail of current configurations and historical data on the system, including all configurations and data used in the November general election. Uh, this letter is to advise that the process you described in your, e in your email will clearly violate 52 U.S. Code 20701 and 20702. Your efforts to destroy election data and information is intentional. This letter demands that you cease and desist any and all efforts to destroy or alter any voting records or data, including but not limited to the records and data that may be destroyed or altered by removing the ICX batteries or the obvious destruction and alteration described in your email, this letter applies to all election equipment across the state of Michigan. Okay, and then it goes on here to describe exactly what he's talking about. It's a long, long letter. <laughs> Guarding against deletion, you should anticipate that your employees, officers, whoops, look at, do you see how long that is? <laughs> it's a long letter. Okay, it says here, we're not going to read all of it. Don't worry. Where'd I go? Uh, okay, it says, uh, you should anticipate that your employees, officers, and others may seek to hide, destroy, or alter ESI and act to prevent or, or guard against such actions, especially where company ma machines have been used for internet access or personal communications. You should anticipate that users may seek to delete or destroy information they regard as personal, confidential, or embarrassing, and in doing so may also delete or destroy potentially relevant ESI. So it's uh, preservation by imaging, preservation in native form, metadata, servers. He goes on to explain the thick and thin of exactly why you can't do it. Spells it out for everyone, right? Signed, of course, Matthew DiPerno. 
that was his cease and desist letter. Okay. That was just the start of it. All right. So now this is what's going on, ladies and gentlemen. This is what's going on. Because he they were going to stop in there a few days ago. And uh, basically, of, of the counties out there in Michigan, we have at least five of them, ladies and gentlemen, at least five counties are reportedly, they reportedly went ahead and moved on with the destruction of this data. Okay. Can't say they weren't told by someone that what they were doing was basically illegal. Okay, that basically they were committing a crime by allowing them to move forward with this. Now, of course, Secretary of Snakes Jocelyn Benson knows about this because obviously they're doing preventative maintenance by election source. So how could she not know about it? Right. She knows about it. All right. So um, according to let's see here. Uh, OK, so we, this is what we had going on as far as the um, as far as the it says 22 months. Actually, they're supposed to save it for 22 months. Uh, so just over a year and a half. Um, um, some of the counties that went ahead and did this, we had Midland County and Manistee County in Michigan. Um, they were go ahead. They were going to go ahead and move forward with election sources request to remove the battery and reset the data. Um, apparently the, uh, the county clerk there in Midland, her name is Anne, she said this, this is not an order signed by any judge. Therefore, I will not be forwarding this message to anyone. Have a good day. So she's gonna move forward with it. She's gonna not heed this uh, uh, letter of good intent. I mean, wouldn't you say so? If you had someone coming in to scheme and someone to go in there and uh, basically uh, assist in uh, committing a crime, wouldn't you consider Matthew DiPerno's letter a letter of good intent? I mean, after all, they don't have any horse in this race or do they? Do you, Anne? And do you have a dog in the race? Is that why you're going to move forward with this? And did you know everything that was going on was fraudulent? Okay, we'll figure it out, Anne. Anyways, Lake County was the same way. Uh, they were waiting for their attorney's opinion, but Dickinson County was going to go ahead and move on with the maintenance. Now, the county clerk by the name of Carol in Dickinson County said, I have not, and maintenance is going ahead as scheduled. She didn't care. She's going to do it. Iron County is also planning to go ahead with the state's request, Jocelyn Benson's request, through election sources to go ahead and delete this data. These counties are risking a lot by their actions, of course, because removing these batteries from the machines will likely erase the data, um, and the law requires them to keep it. So... Uh, that's something that's going on there on that front, okay? Don't worry, guys. It'll turn around. It'll turn around. But just so you guys can see how some of this fraud through these data machines, and who knows, uh, uh, the, the preference for some of these people, maybe it's not self-preservation. Maybe Anne and Carol are not trying to preserve themselves because they knew that there was something untoward happening with these machines. Maybe, uh, you know, they just, I don't know. I mean... I would think, hey, if this is a race of the data, then maybe we shouldn't do it. Fortunately, it's only five counties that we're experiencing this in. But ladies and gentlemen, things are going down in other states as well. Because now we're going to go over to, oh, crooked she is. 
the North Carolina Board of Elections. So some of you all may have been told that North Carolina was also looking to do a type of forensic audit in their state. Truer words were never said. Indeed, they were pushing for this in North Carolina. In fact, the North Carolina General Assembly, by way of the House Freedom Caucus, had been in negotiations in the state of North Carolina with the North Carolina Board of Elections. Now, it, they were in a lot of talks, apparently, over there in North Carolina. And they were seeing things pretty much well eye to eye. Uh, they were going to move forward. They're having several meetings. They're talking about this going through. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, the North Carolina Board of Elections decided not to move forward. Now, here's the skinny. Uh, during a July 15th press, con press conference, um, <clears throat> let me see here, uh, Keith Kidwell, a representative for Beaufort there in North Carolina, um, said that the uh, um, said that the House Freedom Caucus or House Freedom yeah House Freedom Caucus had been responding to public concern regarding transparency in their election process. Now uh, Keith Kidwell, who's the chairman of the caucus, um, said that there was a statute that required state employees to comply with requests for data from the North Carolina General Assembly. Um, he also added that he was not asking for a full-blown audit, um, which was kind of what took place, which is what took place in Arizona. So they're wanting to do an audit of the machines. That's what they wanted to do in North Carolina. Uh, they didn't want to do this whole count and everything about. They just want to look at the forensics of the machines. Okay. And according to a North Carolina law, you know, government and state employees are supposed to do what the General Assembly says. Now, the House Freedom Caucus met with the Board of Elections twice, and Kidwell added that the election systems and software was the largest vendor for North Carolina that they had agreed to provide access to three voting systems that it manufactured. But then Karen Brinson Bell, who is the executive director of the elections board, declined the request to inspect voting equipment used in the November 2020 election um, in a letter that she sent to him on July 7th. The reason why they decided not to do this is because they cited that overriding federal authority under, get this, the Cyber and Infrastructure Security Agency that the North Carolina Board of Elections denied the North Carolina House Freedom Caucus request to examine the machines. Okay, so I don't know. We're going back to states' rights here, right? So apparently this Karen Brinson Bell, sorry guys, I didn't prepare a picture of her for you all, but this Karen Brinson Bell individual decided that the federal agency, the Cyber and Infrastructure Security Agency, CISA, which is a relatively new agency, in fact, uh, that was supposed to be you know, monitoring and watching to make sure that our elections on the electronic side was secure, but they failed big time. Okay. Failed big time. I mean, Trump actually made this agency CISA. He's the one who actually formed it. Um, their first director was fired. 
he was fired by President Trump because he said that this was the most secure election in modern history that he'd ever seen. And he did it for his children. Right. That's what he said. I don't remember what the guy's name was, but he was fired because of everything that happened. Clearly, this guy was not working on the right side of history. But now the Carol North Carolina Board of Elections wants to go ahead and side with this bunk government federal agency over state agency. So I don't, you know, if they really were to push forward with this, it'd be more like, hey, states rights, man, 10th Amendment, man, like CISA don't got no power here. So what is your problem, right? What is your problem? Uh, Kidwell, again, Keith Kidwell, representative, chairman of the uh, House Freedom Caucus, said that they would not invade, compromise, or damage the machines. The only thing that would happen is the ES and S, again, that's the uh, election system and software service technician would open it up, show them and allow them to see that there is no modem in the machines, internet access. That's all that they're looking for. But the North Carolina Board of Elections does not want to let them do that. Um, anyways, uh, it says here that um, because the county boards of elections are legally responsible for the voting equipment, access must be restricted to prevent tampering. That's what they said. So in other words, we can't allow you to see it because you could be tampering with it. Like these people probably don't even know how these machines work. And yet they're going to defend them with their lives. It kind of makes you wonder what's going on there, right? Uh, the North Carolina General Statute 120-19 states that all offices, agents, agencies, and departments of the state are required to give any committee of either House of the General Assembly or any committee or commission whose funds are appropriated or transferred to the General Assembly or to the Legislative Services Commission for disbursement upon request, all information and all data within their possession or attainable from their records. So in case any of you all were wondering what was going on in North Carolina, because I know a lot of people were spouting off about, oh, they want an election audit. Well, that's what happened, ladies and gentlemen. That's what happens sometimes. And uh, right now, yeah, we're doing, a, we're doing a damage control across the states in regards to this Dominion monster and these individuals. So here's another one, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Boy, these machines are a hot item right now. It's a hot ticket. People are talking. I mean, this is what is going on right now, ladies and gentlemen. Now the states are getting, I mean, you could tell, you can tell the states who are really trying to fight these audits are coming out in droves. And right now they're focusing on the machines because they know what cyber ninjas did in Michigan. They know what cyber ninjas did in Arizona. They're very afraid that they're going to find out the rest of what's going on across the 50 states. That's got to be what's going on because they're fighting hard, ladies and gentlemen, to make sure that you cannot read or track or anything that happened with these machines during the 2020 election. So here's another one. This one comes from Pennsylvania, ladies and gentlemen. Get ready because we're going to put an ugly mug on the screen. Who dat? Oh, wait. <laughs> Where'd it go? Who dat? Okay. Do you guys know this face? This woman needs some good skin care. I can tell you that. All right. So this is, uh, of course, uh, acting secretary of snakes, 
Veronica Defengraphine. <laughs> I totally jacked that up. Her name is Veronica de Graffenreed. There we go. Not Defengraphine. De Graffenreed. Veronica de Graffenreed. Okay. She's the one who replaced Secretary of Snakes, Brooke Var, who tried to rewrite the rules on how to adjudicate signatures even though the state of Pennsylvania already had a rule book on how to adjudicate signatures. Okay. That was Brooke Farr. She got, well, DeGraff and Reed was on the lawsuit for cleaning out the voter rolls in Pennsylvania. Brooke Farr already booked it by then. But anyways, okay. So what's going on with this secretary of snakes who staunchly opposes any type of uh, audit in the state of Pennsylvania? Like she's, she's the one who's like, you, she sent a letter to the counties. If you remember, this is the one to graph and read. She was like, you do not have permission to uh, comply with Senator Mastriano's request to audit your county. That was this woman. She was like, you do not have permission to hand over any of your voting materials, electronic materials to any third party. And if you do, notify me immediately. That was her. That was her. DeGraffenried. That's her name. She's not going to be she's not going to be admitted into being a secretary of state. I can tell you that she's not going to make it. She's an acting secretary of snakes right now. She's not going to make it. She's not going to make it. She should be so lucky to even be in the position that she is in. Anyways, so let's see what's going on with her. The Democrat acting secretary of state has decertified the voting machines in a small county in the state after a recent audit was performed. Hmm. So they performed an audit in the state of Pennsylvania of these machines. And what did she do? She did exactly what uh, Secretary of Snakes Katie Hobbs has been threatening to do in the state of Arizona. And that was, oh, well, once you um, audit these machines by a third party, we decertify them and you have to buy them all over again. So she's making them moves. They ain't money moves, but they might be making her some money, but they're not good moves. Now, uh, let's see here. DeGraffin Reed, um, again, she replaced Brooke Farber. She recently issued the directive preventing county election boards from cooperating with the Senate elections audits. Um, but however, a Senator, uh, Doug Mastriano, noted when announcing the audit, of course, that they have full authority and an absolute legal right to do an audit in the state of Pennsylvania. However, the acting secretary of state made it clear as to what she will do whenever a Senate auditor looks at voting machines. So she's saying she's going to do it like they did it in one county there in Pennsylvania. She even threatened that they would not receive any funds in the state to get new voting materials. Like, does this woman really care about America? Like you're going to threaten the county not to allow anyone to audit the machines. And then you're going to strip them of their machines. And then you're not going to even help them get new machines. Well, guess what? DeGraff and Reed. I'm pretty sure they got hole punchers up in the state of Pennsylvania and they can make a ballot and they can hole punch them. We don't need your damn machines. In fact, maybe that's the route we should go. Maybe they should decertify all the machines and give everyone a hole puncher. Or you know what? Everyone has a hole puncher. Bring your hole puncher to the next election and you can hole punch, you know, and there will be no hanging chads. I'm telling you, hole punchers are the future of elections, ladies and gentlemen. Let's not even waste our time with pencils and pens. Let us just punch the holes of the 
candidate that we want to represent us. Let us punch their holes, ladies and gentlemen. Let us punch their holes. Okay, so as I was saying, back to the article. She will render the machines uncertified. It doesn't matter if copies of the machine data are copied and the machines are protected from any changes as a result of the copy. She'll still find the machines inoperable. Pennsylvania's top election officials have decertified the voting machines of a small southern county that disclosed that it had agreed to the request by local Republican lawmakers and allowed a software firm to inspect the machines as part of an audit. The action by acting Secretary of State Veronica DeGraffenreid almost certainly means that Fulton County, Pennsylvania will have to buy new voting machines as it did in May for the primary election and lease new ones. So... The shenanigans abound, ladies and gentlemen. The shenanigans abound by, <laughs> by all means. These people are not letting up. But you know what? Let them do it. They're showing their hand, ultimately. Ultimately, they're showing who they are and what their intentions are so we can get them the hell out. So we can see the exactly all of the mistakes that these people are making, all of the, not even mistakes, all of the intentional wrongdoing. We're seeing them play out their playbook. And guess what? 2022 and after, 2020 and after will be secure because we are rooting out all of these SOBs who are doing this to our people and their constituents and this country. That's what this is about, ladies and gentlemen. That's what this is about. We don't need to follow any more, uh, you know, um, sing song, <laughs> sing song melodies and pictograms and, and puzzles and rhymes and, 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 you know, stuff like that. We, we already know what we got to do. And ladies and gentlemen, we're seeing it across the board in, in almost every state, at least from the East coast to the West coast. We are seeing that the American people, those who are truly alert, aware, awake, and who have this fire to maintain the sovereignty of our nation and our freedom through our vote, they are acting, okay? This, this fire can spread among all of us, and indeed it has among most of us. But what I'm saying here is that was the point of President Trump's presidency, his time in office, and also of Q, to wake us up, to activate us, to get us to do something, not just sit there like, you know, like I've, I've heard, I've heard so many stories about patriots and conservatives getting into their local state um, uh, elections and stuff like that. Like it's coming, ladies and gentlemen, these people better be ready for 2022 because it's not going to be just Democrats who are, who are filling the positions at, uh, you know, uh, county precincts and local precincts. It's going to be us. We're going to be there and we will be live when it happens. I promise. Okay. All right. Let's go on. Okay. So now let's get to a good story in regards to this election, uh, this election uh, equipment. Okay. This is the one that kind of threw me today. <laughs> now we're going to talk about Stark, not Tony Stark, Philip Stark. <clears throat> Now, I was most definitely thrown for a loop when I read this story, okay? Um, 
Again, we're talking about the uh, the election machines, right? Dominion. Okay. Now, up in Philip Stark's neck of the woods. Do you guys remember who Philip Stark is, by the way? Do you all remember who he is? We did a whole thing on Philip Stark and the township of Wyndham, New Hampshire. Do you remember when they were doing the audit up in New Hampshire? That's where we're going with this, ladies and gentlemen. Okay. So we'll do a quick recap uh, just so this way we can kind of get our heads combobulated right, on what we're going to be talking about. Now, the uh, township of Wyndham, New Hampshire, opted to have a forensic audit back in, like, what was this, May? During the month of May. And remember, remember, everyone in town showed up, you know, to the uh, the, the town elders meeting. Uh, um, they put it in, like, a little portable on the back of town hall everyone there was like 200 people that showed up only 30 people could fit in the portable so the board of elector of the the town elders they ran out of there of the portable because they were scared they were scared that the people were going to do something so then they moved the entire meeting over to the school theater the high school theater so then they had the meeting there and they were doing it there and they basically ignored everyone in the audience, everyone was concerned because they knew that the dude, Mark Lindman, who was working with uh, with working with uh, VNV verified voting, you know, they knew that this man was against the Arizona audit in Maricopa County. They knew something was up with this man. They didn't like it. The elders were like, well, you had 10 days to complain about it and you didn't. So now we're going to do what we want to do. Okay, and then that's when all the people turned their back on them, right? Okay, so that's what we're talking about. You guys remember now? Okay, so then they have the audit. <laughs> they have the audit, and it's uh, it's one. Uh, it's a uh, Mark Lindman, Harry Hursty. Do you remember Harry Hursty? He's the Bigfoot from up in New Hampshire that also worked with the United Nations and assisted in getting uh, and assisted in getting um, um, uh, foreign people into our country to observe and monitor our elections. Harry Hursty, the same guy who showed the world in 2005 how to hack into the memory cards that they used on their systems, okay? And the systems that they used, not to mention, came from a company that uh, that was LS Incorporated, I think is what it was called. And those guys actually get all of their stuff from Dominion, okay? And then not only are they working in New Hampshire, they're working in New Hampshire, Connecticut, Vermont, Maine, and Massachusetts, right? These Dominion people, okay? Same people, okay? So they hired Harry Hursty, Mark Lindman, and Philip Stark, okay? We're talking about Philip Stark tonight. Let me get the man on the screen. Boop. That is Philip Stark. <clears throat> okay. So as the plot thickens, right? Okay. So these guys do their audit. <laughs> Three men to audit, like, mm, I think it was like somewhere in the neighborhood of like 15, 20, 30,000 ballots. Nowhere near as big as it was in Arizona, but they're doing a, foren they're doing a full forensic audit. Three men. Doing a full forensic audit in like some uh, some social uh, buildings, like game room, basically, right? You know, and so they had they had the whole twenty four hour surveillance, all that jazz. They did this full forensic audit. Harry Hursty looked like a doofus. Uh, uh, Mark Lindman walked around twiddling his thumbs, and this guy Philip Stark, he hightails it a week. It was a three week process. 
And after two weeks, the last week, this guy, you don't see him anymore. He's gone. They're like, where did Philip Stark go? We don't know. He was hired to do this full forensic audit. And the only one who's sitting there sweating bullets is Harry Hursty. Because Harry Hursty, in my opinion, was probably running the whole thing and uh, running the whole fraud. Like, if you want to say fraud it, it was the New Hampshire Wyndham audit. That was a fraud it, okay? By all means, it's taped all three weeks of it live. You can see it, etc. This is a fraud. If you want to see a fraud, it, that is a fraud. It. Okay. What, what the, what the secretary of states and the state local legislators and the certified uh, auditors hired by the EAS, those guys, that's not even a fraud. It. That's just a joke. That's just what they do is a joke. What these guys did, Hursty, Lindman and Stark, that's a fraud. It. Okay. It's a fraud. It. Okay. So, <laughs> I was like, an interesting story. Uh, cases, uh, you know, uh, the, you know, the case is closed. We'll see where this goes because, as far as I know, the people of New Hampshire are still fighting for a genuine, full forensic audit. Like they were calling for a Jovan Pulitzer style full forensic audit, but this is what they wanted. That's not what they got. They got Philip Stark, Harry Hursty, and Mark Lindman. All right. So this is what's going on now with Philip Stark. <laughs> I was like, what? Okay, all right. So basically, the Election Assistance Commission, right? Um, the EAC, they are being sued. They are being sued <laughs> by Philip Stark. <laughs> what? what? They're being sued by Philip Stark and uh, a group called, uh, what is the name of the group? I have it here somewhere. <laughs> I was like, wow, really? Um, okay. They're being sued. They are being sued. We know that they're being sued. Let me tell you, it's, uh, I have the, uh, I think I have the, uh, where's that? Oh, no, that's, that's the good stuff right there. Uh, they are being sued by, uh, oh, Free Speech for People and Freedom Stark. I mean, Philip Stark. Okay. All right. Let's get back to Philip Stark because this is just too good, guys. Okay. So let's blow his face up. <laughs> there we go. Philip Stark, ladies and gentlemen. Okay. So here's the skinny on Philip Stark because whenever we were talking about Lindman, he worked for Verified Voting up in uh, the Northeast. Uh, and it's just gotten really bad. Then he signed his name on a paper that went a letter that went to Karen Fan in Maricopa County saying, do not do this audit. It's stupid. Basically, Lindman has been totally against it. Right. Harry Hursty. Again, he worked with the United Nations. He worked with getting a gathering information on how we do our audits. Basically, he was in there preemptively figuring out everything that we need to, they needed to do in order to commit frauds on much deeper levels than just a ballot drop, right? Harry Hursty, bad news. Okay. Then you have this man, Philip Stark. Philip Stark used to work on the board of verified voting. Okay. We'll talk about that in a sec. But now this man actually works for the EAC, the Election Assistance Commission. Now, the Election Assistance Commission is another relatively new agency in the government. Now, they were, I think it started about 2000, somewhere between 03 and 06 is when EAC comes into play. And to date, as we've talked about on the C Report before, the EAC is severely underfunded and understaffed, and their chief information officer used to work for Dominion for 10 years, okay? So already there's a bunch of red flags with the EAC. 
Now, Philip Stark actually served. Uh, he still serves. I don't know if he's going to serve after this because he's suing them. Like, he's suing the EAC. <laughs> but he actually, he actually was a board member of the EAC. And he was appointed, he was appointed by Hoods Pelosi herself. That's right. In 2016, Nancy Pelosi put Philip Stark on the board of the EAC. Later, he was reaffirmed by none other than crying Chucky Schumer, right? So Schumer and Pelosi appoint this guy on the board of the EAC, right? So I don't understand what's going on here, right? Okay. But apparently they thought he was working on their side. Now, he was on the board member of the AC. He was one of three auditors during this uh, New Hampshire fraudit. <clears throat> and he was working on verified voting at one point. But, ladies and gentlemen, he resigned from verified voting. He resigned from verified voting because he said, basically that verified voting, which was being used in the Northeast to kind of like, you know, affirm their elections and, and say that everything was kosher, said that basically that they were, they weren't doing their job. So I was like, okay, this Philip Stark, who was on the board of verified voting, and then resigned because he was not happy with the way that the organization was working, but then was appointed by Nancy Pelosi to be on the EAC, is now suing the EAC because of the voting machines. Now, real quick, I want to share this with you guys because it took a minute to dig it up, but this is actually his letter. This is actually his letter uh, to verified voting for the reason why he is leaving. And I was kind of like blown away because we, sh I, I shared a snippet of it because I didn't have the actual letter when we first talked about this story. Um, but it's pretty crazy what he says. This was back in 2019. It says, dear colleagues with sadness and disappointment, I am resigning from the board of verified voting. I believe that verified voting has lost its way. It has been providing cover for inherently untrustworthy voting systems and the officials who bought them, the companies that make them, this is Dominion, and any officials who might contemplate buying them in the future by conducting risk-limiting audits of untrustworthy paper records, creating the false and misleading impressions that relying on untrustworthy paper for a RLA can confirm election outcomes and debasing the meaning of RLA in the process. This contradicts the most basic principle of evidence-based elections, the need to establish that the paper trail is trustworthy. Several months ago, I asked Verified Voting to revise its published policy on BMDs to clarify that parallel testing cannot show that BMD printout is trustworthy. The current policy on parallel testing of BMDs is counter to the advice of David Jefferson, Ron Rivest, Andrew Apple, um, Rich DeMilo, and me, and perhaps other boards and AB members. I have repeated the request, yet months later, the original document stands. 
Verified voting is promoting the shiny part of auditing, the RLA procedure, at the expense of a far more fundamental requirement for trustworthy elections, a trustworthy paper trail. Whitewashing inherently untrustworthy elections by overclaiming what applying RLA procedures to an untrustworthy paper trail can accomplish sets back election integrity. This is security theater, not election integrity. Indeed, verified voting publicly claimed that the pilot RLA in Georgia confirms the election outcomes despite the fact that it was conducted primarily on universal use with serious usability and security defects. I understand that the press quotation from Marianne about the audit was not approved in advance by her, but she has clarified by email that she believes it is true. I do not. So, and the letter goes on from there. I mean, he just lays it out. This was his resignation letter to verified voting. This Philip Stark, now don't forget, Philip Stark was one of the men who was part of this fraud it in New Hampshire. And he flew the coup the last week that he was there. Look, it says right here, verified voting is providing cover for bad actors, election officials and vendors, and inherently untrustworthy voting systems, poorly designed, inaccessible, universal use. By conducting risk-limiting audits of paper trails that cannot in principle be established to be trustworthy even if there were good laws and regulations for compliance audits. Verified voting is helping election officials who purchased poorly designed, unnecessarily expensive, insecure, universal use board and uh, system uh, systems justify their purchase despite the fact that virtually every expert on our board and advisory board recommended against purchasing universal use BMDs. The election officials are now touting that the verified voting helped them conduct, i.e. pilot, RLAs to brag that their systems are trustworthy after all and to claim in court that the audits provide or prove their systems are trustworthy. Verified voting is giving vendors quotes, talking points, and ineffect product endorsements for insecure, inaccessible systems. Verified voting is on the wrong side. Okay, so that is from, okay, that's from Philip Stark. This is his actually, let me get this off the screen real quick. Okay, so that's his letter of resignation from verified voting. This man, who is one of three auditors during the uh, Wyndham, New Hampshire fraud it, and that's what he said. So I was I was honestly surprised, guys. I was surprised. I was like, wow. So why is he suing the EAC? Okay. Uh, he is suing the EAC uh, because um, they secretly permitted internet access on election machines. Okay. So let's not forget, they are doing these forensic audits all across the board, right? And you have them, um, you have them like forensically speaking in Maricopa County and also in Antrim County in Michigan, they found out that there was internet access. Now, Harry, this is what I'm, this is what I'm, you know, postulating based on what we've covered and talked about and what's happening now. Uh, I'm like, was Philip Stark actually like uh, an undercover man or something like that? Because 
In Antrim County, they found irrefutable evidence that the election machines were able to be accessed uh, remotely, which means that there was some sort of internet connection. Now, you notice in North Carolina, that's what's going on there. They're trying to see if there's a modem or any type of internet access on those machines. It's a big deal right now. This is a hot button item. You might not be hearing it much, but trust me, guys, in about a week or two, it's going to blow up. Okay. So we're bringing it to you here on the C report. It's not breaking. We're just sharing this analysis. Okay. So what we have here is whenever Harry Hursty was doing his audits, and they know that these machines are most likely um, adaptable to internet connections, right? The uh, the uh, what are they called here again? The uh, the board of elections and the people who are running this equipment, they went. But we'll we'll read it here. It's right here, uh, in this in this complaint. They went behind the people's back and in private, they decided to approve to make a new law, a new regulation that says it's okay to have modems and internet access on these machines. So where in the past it was strictly prohibited, they are now doing a HR1, they're doing a CYA, they're covering their butts because they know it's gonna be discovered that these machines had internet access. So by allowing them to put access on these machines post audit, post-election, there's going to be a new rule. So it's like, oh, well, I mean, we allow them to have internet access. So what's the big deal? Oh, well, you know, we allow people to have 24-hour ballot drop-offs. We allow people to, 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 we allow states to mail out ballots to people who didn't ask for them. HR1, what's the big deal? It's how we stole the election. This is CYA. Okay, so they're trying to CYA themselves over these machines, okay? The Election Assistance Commission, the EAC, has went ahead and decided that it's okay to put these machines. They didn't meet with the people. They didn't meet with the public. They didn't meet with anyone. They just secretly made this law. So Philip Stark is now suing them because of that. It says right here in the lawsuit, and this is Philip Stark and Free Speech for People versus United States Election Assistance Commission, as you can see right there. Okay, it says right down here, after uh, in, in section three, after submitting a proposed version of the Verified Voting SG 2.0 to the Board of Advisors and Standards Board and making it available to the public, EAC staff conducted a series of secret meetings with voting machine manufacturers. That's LSI of uh, the Northeast, basically. Those private companies advocated for a number of significant changes to the guidelines that would make them easier for the manufacturers to meet. Among the changes was loosening of several principal security requirements, like what? Like not having access to the internet, right? Because that's what they claim from the jump. The EAC incorporated the changes requested by voting machine manufacturers into the final version of the voting system guidelines. The verified voting SG 2.0, as adopted by the commission, incorporates several new provisions that reduce the cost of manufacturers while substantially weakening the security of voting systems as compared to the version of the guidelines that was submitted to the Board of Advisors the standards board and the public, even though the changes were significant and not a logical outgrowth of the previously proposed version of the verified voting SG 2.0, the EAC voted to adopt the revised guidelines without submitting them or the modifications to any of the board members of advisors, the standards board or the public.
So it's weakened the security of their elections machines. And uh, Philip Stark is uh, he's 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 taken up on that. It's upset him. So again, he left verified voting for you know them not having true integrity. You know, not being truly secure, but spelling out this weak ass story. Pardon my French. In regards to what they were doing. Now I wonder, honestly, I honestly wonder if in the course of this fraudit that he was participating in, he was watching everything that was going on. And perhaps in the case of this fraud, and this is speculation here, maybe he realized that they do indeed have access to the internet on these machines. And he left a week early. Like he vanished. He was out. They're like, where did Philip Stark go? We don't know. So this man seems to have some integrity behind him. I'm not trying to puff him up, but it seems like he has some, 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 some bone of integrity in his body, right? So now he's suing the EAC because most likely they're going to find out if they move forward with an actual forensic audit in the state of New Hampshire. Most likely they're going to find out that these machines did indeed have access to the internet, right? And the EAC is trying to cover their butts because they know it's coming. And they're hoping that there's no retroactive compensatory actions that will be taken against them in the light of these new rules and regulations that they are starting to pass. So I thought this was a very interesting story, ladies and gentlemen. I was like, wow, what a way to round off this election machine fraud information on the C report tonight. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, we only got uh, one more story. I think oh, we got two more stories and we're done for the night. I hope you guys are having a good time over there at uh, the Twitch, the Foxhole and beyond. All right, let's see what we got. God, you guys are just uh, hopping and hooting over there. Uh, thank you real quick to ya boy death. Hey, ya boy death. I appreciate the cookie. I appreciate the cookie. Uh, we also got a cookie from 123SKG looking up and Deborah Erdman. I appreciate you guys keeping my cookie jar full. I can always count on you guys for the snacks. <laughs> Thank you so much. Again, most appreciated, most appreciated. All right, looking good. Okay, let's see what else we got going on over here. Looking very good. Okay. All right. Let's get on to this story about Louisiana. Now, you guys might recall that we talked about Louisiana some weeks ago. Uh, it might have been a week ago, honestly. I think it was about a week ago, honestly. Uh, and so what were we talking about with Louisiana? Uh, with Louisiana, they were going into their first ever historical, historical um, um, veto override session. Okay. Because apparently their uh, governor... This man here, <laughs> that is not a flattering face. This man here, Governor Bell Edwards, a Democrat, right? He vetoed so many conservative bills in his state that the representatives and senators were like, no, 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 no. Governor Bell Edwards, you freak. We're going to go ahead and have a veto override session because this is not going to fly. Um, among the things on the bill, if you guys remember, uh, it included, it included a bill that would ban transgender 
from uh, from uh, from uh, participating in sports. Uh, you know, it's got to be biological males with biological males, uh, biological females with biology. So, anyways, um, a real quick a real quick recap on this Louisiana uh, historic uh, veto override session. Uh, it began on Tuesday, July thirteenth. It ran the course of five days. Okay. This was the first ever. Now, in the history, um, there have been many calls for override, a veto override sessions in Louisiana. Come to find out, um, they have been canceled for the last five decades. So something's up with the governor of Louisiana if they're always wanting to do a veto override session. But somehow, and this guy looks like he's been hanging out on uh, Bourbon Street too much, honestly. <laughs> He looks like he's been participating in Mardi Gras year-round, if you ask me. But um, but anyhow, uh, they've been trying to do that for over five decades, and they finally got their first veto override session in. Uh, I think I think back when this story broke, I think it was just V who said, have they never heard of a recall? <laughs> yeah, I guess the people of Louisiana are just not that engaged. I don't know. I don't know what's going on over there to, uh, with our neighbor to the east. But... Um, yeah, so that was the deal. Now, as it turns out, as the the caption of today's show says, Governor Edwards wins all. So, ladies and gentlemen, very sadly, not a single bill that was vetoed was overwritten by the legislation. It's terrible, guys. It's terrible. Uh, among things on the bill, they had they had support. They had support in the Senate to override the bill on Jan's, a transgender sports ban, okay? Uh, the state senators voted 26 to 12 to overturn Democrat Governor John Bell Edwards' rejection of a bill prohibiting transgender students from participating in school sports, the exact number of votes needed, um, but apparently it just it did not pass when it got into the House. Um, the House did not approve the veto override. The Senate did. You know, so there's a problem there. Now, there was there, there was something worth mentioning here to you guys of this idiot, this absolute idiot in the Senate. Senate Democrat. Let's put her face on the screen. She kind of looks like uh, she kind of looks like um, uh, what is that? What is that heifer's name? <laughs> How could I forget Stacey Abrams, Kith and Kin, right? She, she kind of looks like, um, <laughs> I'm being so mean. Oh my God. She kind of looks like a drag queen I know named Stacey Lane Matthews. Anyways, okay. <laughs> They're both from the South. Okay. Uh, this is Senator Karen Carter Peterson. Now this was her, this was her reasoning on the entire situation. Karen Carter Peterson said that the transgender sports ban bill would negatively affect the impact of the state's ability to attract business and sporting events. Because everybody knows that you pay money to go see transgenders in sports. I mean, I talked to Sports Illustrated. I don't know. How do we keep getting back to transgenders? God dang it. Okay. So, okay. Anyways, this is what she says. You either want business to come to Louisiana or you want to discriminate. 
what a joke. She says, we're about to make that decision. So apparently if you protect your daughter from getting her butt kicked in wrestling with a transgender, or you protect your child from an unfair advantage, biologically speaking, you know, but this is, this is, this is, uh, this is scholarships we're talking about here, ladies and gentlemen. That scholarship could be going to a well-deserving biological female athlete, but instead some transgender person is going to go ahead and take that away from your child. So like she said, it's about discrimination or it's about attracting business. I thought I would show you her face because it's ridiculous. Okay. Who's that? <laughs> oh, wait, we're not getting to him yet. Hold on. <laughs> He's coming next. Let's put this guy back on the screen. Bell Edwards. What a name, right? Bell Edwards. What a name. Okay. Actually, was that guy supposed to be next on screen? Oh, no, that guy was supposed to be next on screen. Okay, anyways, here's another thing that they failed to override in the state of Louisiana. Permitless concealed carry. Guys, I pray for the state of Louisiana. The people need to wake up and stop having Mardi Gras 24-7 and get engaged in their local politics more because all of this stuff was stripped from them, okay? Uh, so the Louisiana legislator on Wednesday um, failed to veto this bill that would allow permitless concealed carry, a 2A issue. They were shy by just three votes, y'all. Two-thirds were needed to overturn Edwards' veto of SB 118, constitutional carry bill. The Louisiana Senate voted 23 to 15 in favor of the failed override. The bill would allow any residents 21 years of age or older and who is, prohibit, uh, who is not prohibited from owning a firearm by state or federal law to carry a concealed gun without permit. It also sought to repeal a requirement for Louisiana residents to pass a nine-hour course with live fire training before being able to apply for a concealed carry permit. Now, Edwards, this man here, describes himself as a strong supporter of the Second Amendment. Right, Bell Edwards. Ring your little bell there, Bell Edwards, because clearly you don't support the Second Amendment. He is a enthusiastic outdoorsman and hunter, he said, but still he vetoed the bill for concealed carry, permitless carry in his state. Now, here's the deal. Now we're going to bring this man up on stage. This man, his name is Senator Ronnie Johns. Senator Ronnie Johns is a Republican. Yes or not? Yes, he is. Here we go, ladies and gentlemen, another rhino in our mists. Like, this is the problem, okay? Democrats come at you with a bottle in their hands. Republicans sneak up on you with piano wire. And this man is responsible for the permitless carry not going through during the veto session. If you live in Louisiana, Senator Ronnie Johns is your problem, okay? Now... The Senate had one more elected uh, GOP official, official that they needed to get the two-thirds vote. So they needed one vote, guys. 
Republicans alone don't have enough votes in the 105-member House and will need support from two Democrats or independents to reach the two-thirds hurdle, even if the GOP votes as a block. In the 39-member Senate, however, every Republican would have to vote together to get the supermajority votes unless Democrats break ranks with Edwards. So they need every Republican. Now, this guy here, Senator Ronnie Johns, has been an ally of Democrat Governor Bell Edwards from the jump. Like him and Bell, they go back far. Okay, so he's he's a Republican, but he often sides with Democrat Governor Ronnie Johns. And when they were having this override veto session, he decided to skip the session to get knee replacement surgery. (laughs) I mean, I laugh, but like, really, Ronnie Johns? Really? Like, was it life threatening? Were they going to (laughs) amputate? Like, why did you decide to do it then? Um, So anyways, he's been accused, needless to say, of dodging the session by having this uh, this uh, emergency knee replacement surgery. (laughs) Talk about a coward, guys. He knew that this override session would be very tricky for him moving forward. It was probably uh, political suicide because everyone in the state of Louisiana would clearly see where this man stands as a rhino, a clear, big, bold-faced rhino, and uh, he couldn't have it. So he had emergency surgery instead. What a shame for the state of Louisiana. Well, you know what, ladies and gentlemen? It's about time that we got to know our rhinos It's about time that we got to know them because guess what, ladies and gentlemen, rhino hunting season is upon us and uh, we'll be out in full force. Now it's time for our final story for tonight on uh, the Sea Report. Thank you all again for hanging out tonight. I hope you've been enjoying yourself with this little bit of information that we're sharing with you. Now, why is the flag of the state of Oregon on the screen, you might be wondering. Well, this actually has to do with um, the story about uh, Oregon, at least the eastern rural portion, several counties wanting to secede from the state of Oregon and join their sister state to the the east. uh, That would be the state of Idaho. So you guys probably remember a little bit about this. I'll go ahead and expand that on your screen so you can get the full effect of what we have going on here. Now, um, basically, all of Oregon and a portion of Northern California want to combine with the state of Idaho and become Greater Idaho. And these are the proposed boundaries. I find this very interesting. I find this very, look how small Portland would become. (laughs) I mean, Portland, look how small Oregon would become. So this, this has actually been floating around for a little while, right? You guys probably remember hearing about it. Um, Before we get into it too much, I got a quick video from you from a local newscaster from the state of Oregon, and they're talking about greater Idaho and kind of what is going on right now in that regard. So let's go ahead and roll that beautiful bean footage. A movement to shift Oregon's borders into what has been called Greater Idaho continues to grow. Alec Nolan's. 
Oh, you're kidding me. You're kidding me. It's okay, guys. We'll get this back on. We'll talk about Idaho and Oregon. We'll talk about them in half no time. Oh, my goodness. That's what you happens when you have videos on hold for too long. Okay, here we go. We're going to start this baby from the beginning. A movement to shift Oregon's borders into what has been called Greater Idaho continues to grow. Alec Nolan spoke with the Lapine man behind the movement to better understand the group's mission. He joins us now with the details. Alec, why does the group want to change borders? Lee, as the group's president, Mike McCarter, told me, it's a difference in values between the northwest region of the state and the rural communities. He says for the past 20 years, they've been fighting for rural Oregonians to have a voice. So now they're taking matters into their own hands. So this river right here, the Deschutes, the other side of it would be Idaho. This side would be Oregon. Mike McCarter, the president of Greater Idaho, has been advocating to shift Oregon's border and become a part of Idaho. We feel in rural Oregon that we're, we're somewhat ignored. But a lot has to fall in place for this concept to become a reality. So the Oregon legislature has got to pick up the discussions and start dealing with the Idaho legislature. And if they can come into an agreement to move the counties out from underneath Oregon's governance and under Idaho's governance, then it goes back to the U.S. Congress for approval. And that's highly unlikely. So many have asked those in the movement, why not just move to Idaho instead? Southeast, Central Oregon have a tie to their land. They have a tie to their community, to their families here. And, you know, we can pick up and move to Idaho. That's fine. But wouldn't it be easier as a whole, the way people are voting, just to say, okay, we want to become Idahoans, so let's move the border so that we're there without even having to pick up and go. McCarter says the clash between urban and rural can be fixed, but in Oregon, he feels policies have only gone further in one direction. And that's because 78% of the vote is in Northwest Oregon, and that controls the whole state. Seven Oregon counties, including Jefferson, have already voted in favor of their county leaders having to meet to discuss the concept. 62% of voters in the five counties that voted in May were in favor. Here in Central Oregon, the movement is ready to welcome hundreds to attend the August 4th Crook County Court meeting. They plan to confront county commissioners on what they say is their reluctance to put the issue on the November ballot. Harney County will vote this November on the Greater Idaho proposal. Greater Idaho's sister group, Move Oregon's Border, is still collecting signatures in six other counties, including Curry, Josephine, Douglas, Klamath, Morrow, and Umatilla. All right. That's a pretty interesting uh, story to me. It's interesting to see that it's still developing. Uh, the people of Oregon definitely want out of Oregon. Uh, so you see there was already, what, seven counties that have voted in favor of seceding from Oregon and joining Idaho for greater Idaho. I'm like, hmm. Would that landmass rival the state of Texas? <laughs> They'd be like, what, the second or third biggest state uh, per capita, per uh, square feet? I don't know. How would you say that? Anyway, so seven, seven counties have already voted, yes, they want to secede to Oregon. Uh, now you have Harney County coming up in November, where they'll be asking the residents of Harney County 
whether or not they'd like to join and be part of Idaho. Um, now, that's not the only thing going on. Uh, and uh, there's a couple of press releases. Harney County will vote on it uh, in no November on the Greater Idaho Concept for moving the Oregon-Idaho border as a group called Move Oregon's Border has collected required number of signatures, the Harney County clerk announced in a press release. We also have Crook County. Crook County um, will have a, a showdown, is what they're calling it, on August 4th in five counties where Move Oregon's borders didn't get permission to circulate a petition the group is requesting that county commissioners refer a question about Greater Idaho to their ballots, including the counties of Coos, Crook, Wheeler, Gillum, and Wallawa. Um, they are asking the same of the city councils of the cities of Lapine, Redmont, Mopin, or Maupin, Rogue River, Gold Hill, Central Point, Eagle Point, and Shady Cove. Citizens for Greater Idaho, a sister group of Move Oregon's Borders, announced that they will be bringing hundreds of citizens to attend the August 4th Crook County Court meeting to confront county commissioners on their reluctance to refer a non-binding advisory question on the November 2021 ballot. So that's something else. I mean, they're serious about this, guys. I would be, too, if I were being controlled by... Portland. That's terrible. Uh, finally, Grant County Court's first mandated meeting will be held on August 4th. As required by the measures approved by Grant County voters in May, the Grant, Grant, I can't talk. The Grant County Court will meet August 4th at 9 a.m. to discuss the Greater Idaho concept of moving, moving the Oregon-Idaho border. The public is invited to attend in person in the courthouse in Canyon City to provide comments on the idea. So it's very exciting, guys. Again, the people, they be activated. They're finding ways to get things done and uh, they're finding ways to fight back. And uh, I don't know, I had read this uh, one uh, response article of how the people were feeling in the state of Oregon about this happening. And this one person was like, um, um, I mean, like, it's so great living in Portland. It's so great living in Portland where everyone thinks like you and we're all the same, but maybe we should try like listening to like the rural people instead of like yelling at them. I was like, wow, even they know what kind of jerks they are. Anyways, ladies and gentlemen, that wraps it up for today's C Report. I hope you guys had a great time, and I hope this was informative for you all as always. I enjoyed myself. Great stories today. Great, great, great. Thanks again, everyone, for hanging out in the chat rooms. And for those who donated gold pills, uh, I definitely appreciate the donations coming in. They help ever so much in the things that I'm trying to do. And actually just kind of keeping this thing going. Uh and we'll just leave it there. But I do appreciate you guys uh, pitching in for that in that regards. All right. Without further ado, I'm going to release the lotto tickets. All right. For those of you who do not know what the lotto is, that's something that happens over at the Foxhole app. If you'd like to participate, then you'll have to go over to the Foxhole app. That's basically all there is to it. All right. Let me scratch my lotto. Yeah. I'm the first one to claim what there we go, guys. All right, guys. We'll let that run. Oh, look, I get another one. Yay. Multiple lottos for one show. All right. Let's see if I get another one. Dang, no more. 
You are most welcome to speak and easy. Now, don't forget, guys, we'll be back again. To, well, we should be back again tomorrow. Tomorrow will be a busy day. We should have another C report. Um, and then also we'll be doing a Mr. C in the dark. And then don't forget, Texan, I saw you in the audience, buddy. We got uh, President Trump speaking on Saturday. We will be broadcasting live here on the Mr. C channel over at the Foxhole app, the C Report over at Twitch, and Mr. C TV over at Trobo. So do come out um, and have some fun with us. We won't be covering the entire rally, but we will be covering President Trump's speech by at least an hour in advance. So he goes, I'm sure he'll probably go on at 4 p.m. Arizona time. Uh, so we'll be on prior to that, at least an hour to hang out, chat, and, you know, get revved up. This is That's the President Trump pep rally over at the Mr. C channel. So join us if you would. It'll be me and the Texan, my, the Texan and myself. Uh, hanging out there to see President Trump speaking at the uh, election integrity rally in Phoenix, Arizona. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we will see you again tomorrow here at the Sea Report. God willing, till then, have a great night. And thanks again, y'all. <laughs>